hello, Alex. Hello, Cass. Uh, this this is anime is for jerks. Coming into this uh, recording, I felt like I was sitting in my cell preparing to face the firing squad. Uh, so I would ask you if you liked this movie, but I know the answer to that. Um, what I could say is silver lining. I con- confirmed my suspicion uh Tomohikomorimi is a talentless piece of shit who can only write the same self-insert wish fulfillment bullshit over and over again so i learned something okay um so i really really liked this movie i thought it was fantastic uh i loved it and i hated it more than anything we've watched on this podcast yeah um okay so I should say, when, so for instance, when we went in to say the Serial Experiments Lane episode, I went into that episode trying to convince you that Serial Experiments Lane was good. I have learned that this is an error. You have never changed your mind on anything, ever, and you're not going to start now. Um, no, I, d- I mean, you convinced me that Serial Experiments Lane was more interesting than a gift card for. I, I still don't, I still didn't enjoy it, but I, I don't think it's a bad show it's just not for me this is a bad movie this is not a bad movie it's a very very good movie um i took a ton of notes i actually even i because i knew you hated this movie so much i did a bunch of like research on stuff that i was thinking about while watching this so that i would have like pull quotes to give i took a ton Mm. of screenshots um so i'm not going to try listen dear readers i'm not going to try to convince alex that this is a good movie because that's pointless i'm going to try to convince you that this is a good movie and alex is going to be here my helpless captor as i do so (laughs) Um, hey who wait which where's which direction the firing squad pointing uh, i didn't say that did i Like, I was honestly, you should be grateful I even finished this You were so pissed. I Because I woke up at about 5 p.m. while you were in the middle of watching it. Uh, And this is a two-hour long movie. It took you about four hours to watch it. So I could tell how mad you are. Uh, And I just, I looked at it. I looked at the Discord. I I was like lying in bed. I looked at the Discord and I went, oh no. Because I was was thinking that it was bad. I was like, oh fuck, now I'm going to have to watch this. Knowing that it's bad. And I went into it. And the first like 10 minutes or so, I was like, oh, I was like, like, because I was totally primed to think that it was bad. I was like, oh, this sucks. This, this, This is like a fucking book of Henry. Like... Um, What's the Book of Henry? The Book of Henry is the worst. It, it's the movie that was so bad that it got uh, Colin Trevorrow fired off of Star Wars Episode Nine. Sick mustache. Um, and then, sorry, I just got a Discord message from the Animal Crossing Discord server. It's another. <laughs> um, and then after that, I realized, no wait, you're letting Alex infect your brain with her bad opinions. This movie whips. Um, because Incredible. I kept because I kept laughing at stuff and I kept, I was just smiling the whole time and I kept like really enjoying it and re- enjoying where it was going uh, and like really appreciating everything that it was doing and I was like I can't continue to hold this the, the opinion that I have in my head that I've preformed which is that this movie is bad does not square with the evidence which is that this movie is good. See, you should just listen to me more and stop paying attention to your own lying eyes. <laughs> um, so. I guess I, I, I also assume that you probably cannot summarize the plot. 
Uh. There is no plot. Nothing happens. No. We get this, we get this miserable dipshit who has an overinflated self, sense of self-worth. And at the end, he's a miserable dipshit who has an even more overinflated sense of self-worth because he got a fucking demigod to like be his mommy dom. You like you have just an inordinate amount of like malice towards children. Like he's nine. Yeah, but he's he's also a self insert of Tomohiko Marimi. Why do you think that? Because it's why else do you write like a wish fulfillment like story about? Why do you think this is a wish fulfillment story? (laughs) Because it's a fucking like nerdy. Fourth grader with a ha- with a like a harem, and who's who he doesn't have a harem. He doesn't fuck anybody until he's <laughs> nine. What like you are? Get uh, your uh, mind out of the gutter. <laughs> he like okay. He's like the smartest kid in the class, except for this other this for this little girl who who gently teases him. Like all the Marimi characters gently tease the protagonist in a sort of like obviously that's his thing, and then. As you, soon as he beats okay, her at you, chess, you to, she falls need, in love with stop, him. We need to stop. And like, your, your ire turns into Tomohiko Marimi is completely unfounded. You don't know what this man is like. You know, nothing about, see- <laughs> you know nothing about him. You've never met him. You know nothing about why he writes stories like this. You don't know anything like that. He writes you're doing one the story. Extreme, <laughs> you're, you're doing the extremely irresponsible thing of like back-solving from the kinds of stories that a person writes and try to figure out who they are from that, which is like super gross and not cool. I, I'm on... Th- these movies all are the same story. and They, they are, are not. A boring, gross, wish fulfillment story. They are not. Like, this movie doesn't, like, what do you think wish, like, oh my god, I'm being driven completely nuts. He's this, like, clever, nerdy kid who gets bullied, but somehow... So what do you think should happen in this movie? Like, do you think this movie shouldn't happen? Like, do you... (laughs) I wish this movie didn't exist. Like, I hate like, everything what do you about think it. Happen to, what do you think should happen to this character? That he should just get the shit beaten out of him until he's not smart anymore? No, this is not a worthwhile story to tell. There's nothing interesting that happens here. I think that maybe we shouldn't do this episode of the podcast. Fine with me. <laughs> um, I think I think that maybe this is a bad idea, and we should just not do a podcast this month because you're you're like we're both genuinely too passionate about this and you're like you're way too mad about it and i'm way too mad about you being mad about it and i'm way too mad about how much i liked this movie and i don't really feel like i can have a productive conversation about how much i liked this movie under these circumstances i don't i don't know um you know like it took us less than 10 minutes to get to shouting at each other I was kind of hoping, <laughs> and it's not fun. I'm not having a good time. No, I, I know, I'm, I know. Me neither. You know, I'm not enjoying this. You know, uh, I don't think that our audience is going to enjoy us yelling at each other. Um, you know, I like this is kind of why I felt bad. Not because I thought you were going to make me realize that this movie was bad, which you're not going to because it's good, um, <clears throat> but because I knew that this was going to happen. Yeah, I, I knew that we were just going to yell at each other because, like, with at least with something like uh, the Tatami Galaxy, which you also didn't like, you were kind of just bored by it, and so right. yeah, I, I was going to just... say like 
I did not dislike the Tommy Galaxy in the same way that I dislike this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, and even when I really hated noir, like you kind of agreed with me. <laughs> right. I mean, like looking back on it, I like we, we talked through it and I realized that like the, the, the things that made me enjoy it and made it memorable to me were very small sections of the overall show. Uh, and then that, and that looked kind of, big picture it was not actually a good series yeah i i mean i guess like because i know i disagree with you that this is a wish fulfillment story or that the night of short walk on girl is a wish fulfillment story or that Tommy galaxy is a wish fulfillment story and i disagree with you on all of those and i know i'm not going to convince you that you're wrong so like there's no there's nothing productive there's like we're we're basically operating on completely separate like we it's almost like we yeah. watch two I, different movies i know i know i don't yeah i, I like you, you don't understand where i'm coming from i have no idea where you're coming from yeah i i mean part of the reason why i liked this movie and also why i liked the tatami galaxy and why i like night of short walk on girl and i feel it way more in this movie than in the Tatavi Galaxy for some reasons that should be obvious, but like in all three of the main characters in this movie, I see myself as a child very strongly. I like immensely relate to this film. It, it, it is such a, like all three of these people are people that I was when I was their age. And it's, it's such a, like it, it feels like so so much more because like usually precocious child stories are stuff like the book of Henry or stuff where the child is is because this movie doesn't feel so much to me and I I I will say I don't think this movie's perfect I think that that it focuses a little too much especially at the end on um uh Aoyama and that it's it i would have enjoyed it more if it was more about all three of the characters instead of just aoyama but it's it's definitely like because i'm trying to think of trying to think of how to how to say this because it's it's as as a nine or ten year old and really until i was in my like mid-teens i placed an extremely high premium on being smart and knowing things um and on 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 especially on being smarter than other people uh, and also on feeling special and having, like, special knowledge that only I knew, you know? Like, not even... Which, of course, is sort of paradoxical because I would tell people about it all the time because that was the thing that I used it for, was was that it was just, like, <laughs> pop fun facts on people about octopuses or whatever. You know, like, that's that's why it's special. It's not special if you just hear it, but it's special only when you tell, get to tell people things that they don't that they haven't heard before. Um, and, I don't know, like like like... The, the near the end of this movie it, it definitely especially when they're talking about like there being a hole in the world and like and like the idea of fixing the world it made me think a lot about um surrealism and andre breton and specifically andre breton's surrealist manifesto and about the idea of the realistic like the uh, breton had this idea of, like the realistic attitude that he hated so very much um and he he wrote about how like the his intention for surrealism was that it was going to be a tool for anti-fascism because it allowed like the world is too fucking normal it's too fucking regular there's too much there's too much normal shit going on and i think that like the character growth that um that 
Aoyama goes on throughout the entire story, it's not related to him not... Because his... his I mean, his problem is partly that he's a bit of a smug prick, and he becomes less of a smug prick because he, beco- he comes to understand that other people can do things that he can't. Um, and he also... But, but it's also that he has this sort of obsession with being able to know everything and with being able to, to, to ascertain... Um, to, to be certain and to be realistic and all of this stuff, and he's directly confronted with situations that aren't realistic and that don't make sense. Um, and the solution to which is just, like, whimsy. It's just, it's just, like, doing weird shit with penguins, and it's just having a good time, something that he seems to be incapable, that he seemed to be incapable of doing at the beginning. You know, he takes everything very seriously. He doesn't want to be a kid. He wants to be an adult, and that is something I could very powerfully relate to is the idea of wanting to be to be an adult so badly that you will uh you will do the math and calculate like exactly how many days <laughs> i have done that um, oh god i have absolutely done that because i hated being a child i hated being in mm. school i hated everything like that so it's it's it it is a movie that like i am willing to overlook its flaws because of how powerfully it speaks to an experience that i've had okay see like I don't think I had as, I think my childhood was less kind of eventful. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, I don't really remember much, like much at all from my childhood. It was pretty, honestly, pretty bland. See, that's the other thing is I don't remember much about my childhood at all either. And this movie brought it back into the forefront of my mind. Like I was able to remember stuff that had happened to me that I'd forgotten for over a decade because, because. And the only parts of like. The only parts of like the characters in this and the other Marimi films that we've seen that I relate to or that I, that I see or in which I see like a f- past part of myself are the toxic ones that like like that what that I no longer relate to and that like I actively reject and so to have all these these stories about like like I did not partly because I checked out a half hour in, um, but I didn't really see, I didn't, I didn't really see his character growing. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's, it's, and what I, what I, what I saw in this one and in the night short walk on girl and a tiny galaxy was a like unremarkable guy inexplicably like, getting the girl in the most like tedious rom-com scenario um, over and over again. And like, yeah, what pissed me off most about was like Hamamoto's arc where like, she's this like sassy little kid who like, she also knows she's smart and is a bit of a dick about it. Uh, until he beats her at chess, and then she like immediately falls in love with him and turns into this little jealous I, girl. See, I saw you who, who, posting. I saw who's, you gets all pissed off whenever the dentist lady shows up with her big boobs. I saw uh, you post that. I don't end, know when that happens. I don't know what it scene you're interpreting as that happening because she's because the thing that I interpret is that she gets starts getting pissed off and jealous when the dentist lady shows up, which is like totally <laughs> something that I understand about about children about um like ab- about the way that like especially if you're if you if you already have like a crush on somebody but you do, you're nine so you don't really understand what that means like 
you just sort of get mad when you see other people hanging out with them, especially when you have like a very strong case of I'm not like other girls syndrome. Yeah, I know. But like, like the point is that like, like instead of, instead of her having like her own, like character, she's just, she's just turned into like the love interest by this. And, yeah, she does after after the scene with with the uh with the with the dentist lady where yeah. the dentist lady shows up with the penguins, she does take a sort of backseat to the rest of the plot in a way and then that it, is Yeah, at the end when he's when he figures out how to like it's all like it's always him figuring shit out. Like like the yeah. dentist lady dentist lady is a fucking like like demigod who can create penguins, but she acts like a complete bimbo and like defers to him to solve the mystery and then at the end like he leads the charge and he's like Hamamoto calm down and listen I figured it out I know what to do that's not what and, he says also I, I like because when I got to that scene I, I also had sort of a cringe reaction to it but I also know that I can't necessarily project tone onto the words because they're in English and I don't know what the original Japanese words were and I don't yeah, know if they have the same exact connotations as what they were translated into that's true enough I guess you know like that's something that I ha- you have to be super careful when you're when you're you know, doing literature and translation when you're specifically like critiquing a character's word choice or something like that. It's like, well, you can't really know necessarily how how a person reading this in the original language would have taken that line as it was written in the original language, like what this translation is. That's okay, fair fair point. But like, um, yeah, like like the only only aspect of any of these three things that. Um, the Night of Short Walk on Girl, Tommy Galaxy, and Penguin Highway. That based the, the three books of the, or the three animes based on books by Morimi. The only one part I've enjoyed was the beginning of Night of Short Walk on Girl because that was <laughs> the only one that didn't like have like a heterosexual romance uh, and didn't fall into these like absurdly tired like sexist tropes, uh, and that just exhaust me yeah i mean i guess i just don't really care like that stuff does i just let that stuff wash over me and through me i don't even notice it really yeah i I just i have no i have no tolerance for it anymore um you know especially because this is especially this movie is is so different from those because it's about children you know and that feels like it completely changes it completely changes how i interpret their interactions you know like i like everything that this kid says about his future is complete bullshit like the thing that the end of this movie reminded me the most of and i know you haven't seen this movie but it reminded me this is gonna be weird to anybody who has seen this movie is it reminded me of the ending of parasite um because the very end of parasite is a character making a promise that the audience knows is complete nonsense bullshit mm-hmm you know, and we know we like like you know that what this kid is saying is complete nonsense, and that obviously none of it is true, uh, and that he's not really committed to any of it. He's just nine, but you know, and, and it's it's slightly different in Parasite. In Parasite, it's much sadder. Um, but in this, in in or at least that's how I interpret it. Is is in in it's because this he doesn't really get anything that he wants. You know. Um, like in terms of wish fulfillment, like this kid, what he wants is 
to become an adult. What he wants is to marry the dentist lady. Well, the dentist lady disappears into the fucking ether, and he's still a child by the end of this. You know, he doesn't get fucking linked to the uh, Ocarina of Time up into an adult at any point, which I was kind of worried was going to happen. Um, you yeah, know, he like, got, like the affirmation of like her regard and she's like oh you've got promise and then she god god forbid we tell children they have promise i'm just i'm just saying like <laughs> like i i like you just you i'm not gonna criticize you i'm gonna talk about the movie um <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to catch myself and not make this about you um it's be- because i and i think that that Part of what's, I guess, reassuring to me about these movies and part of why I like them, why, why I like them is because, I mean, I remember being these types of people, you know, in certain, in certain contexts, I still am that type of person. And it's, I guess, nice, even if it's, I don't know if it's bad for me or whatever, to have some sort of reassurance that I might turn out okay, you know, <laughs> like, like, because... And I, admittedly, I like mo- I also like movies that don't do that. I like End of Evangelion a whole lot, you know. And that is a movie about taking a person that I very much was at one point and just beating the shit out of him, having every single person that he cares about in his life yell at him about how much of an asshole he is, and then he destroys the world and just and can do nothing and has nothing left to do but choke out the one person he's like the, the one remaining person who kind of cares about him. Like that's fucking bleak. And yes, I don't know. I don't f- necessarily feel the need for everything to be that bleak. Oh, me neither. Please, um, you know, because like, like not because End of Evangelion is in a lot of ways like a fucking morality tale. You know, it's about if you're a misogynist douchebag, this will happen to you too. <laughs> I, <laughs> to the ghost of anime past. You know, um, and. It's, I guess, a little more hopeful to to imagine because, like, the the thing is, is that like, what are what like because these because you say these three movies are all the same story and they're kind of not. I mean, all of their protagonists are definitely one thing that all three protagonists have in common is they take things too seriously. Um, They are opposed to. Like, especially in the Tatami, like, the Tatami Galaxy is, and, and Night of Sherlock Girl, Senpai in both of those, he wants everything to go perfectly. He has all these expectations for everything, um, you know, and he's just crushed when they're not, when they're not fulfilled. And so he very carefully avoids doing anything, um, which is absolutely something that I have done and do still, um, you know, you just very carefully avoid making any commitments or trying anything because when you fail you'll know you'll just be crushed and when you do try something you absolutely have to keep your hopes at a bare minimum and just know that it's going to not work out so that when it does work out you're astonished and you're very very surprised it's just like this absolute defensive pessimism um and aoyama in this movie kind of has i mean in in, as far as that has the opposite problem he has this sort of defensive optimism in that he knows that now he's just a child and that he doesn't understand things and he has this like very he has this very strong conviction in the the future he's going to be a great person you know um because he thinks very highly of himself and i think a lot of what the movie is about is about showing him that there's more to the world than just being a great person that there's more that there's other people in the world who have skills and know things that you don't know 
And that's, you can't always understand things or fix things by being deadly serious about it. You know, and that, that like, his his sort of stoicism shtick kind of isn't always the solution. Sometimes it, it isn't necessarily about him, like, you know, because obviously for him, like, being stoic in the face of, for instance, bullying is really useful. It makes the bullying less effective. Um, you know, but he also has this sort of inability to have fun and this ability, and this is something that I, I absolutely do, this this desire to be the adult in the room or to be an adult and to not cry and to not do anything that, that is childish. And that's oh, that's something. As, as a person, but even at the end, he's still doing that. Um, I think... Part of, part of what happened in this movie is it's the process of him sort of earning it. Um, like, because at the beginning of the movie, he's never done anything in his fucking life. He just doodles in his notebook. You know, he's never done anything of note. He, he thinks very highly of himself with basically no justification. Um, and he still has this sort of... <laughs> By the end, he thinks highly of himself with justification. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah, like he... He is definitely a different person at the end, and it's difficult for me to put into words the way in which he is a different person, because this isn't a movie about telling a kid not to have confidence in himself and his actions, which seems to me like it would be bad. Um, You know, like, I think... Well, yeah, no, like, I'm not, like, I don't actually hate children. It sure seems like you do. (laughs) Um, You know, like, this... And maybe it is, I mean, just that I see myself in these characters and so I want them to be happy and not for them to be miserable because th- them being miserable would be, would be fucking too close to home. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I mean, if, if, if I see myself in these characters, I see, like, who I grew out of and, like, thank God I'm not that person anymore. Um, and I, well, I want them to grow out of it too, but they don't. Um, yeah, and, and like... You know, there's he he. When I, I the thing that this this made me think of of a lot was me being you know in my early teens posting on internet forums, mm-hmm. um and and very aggressively, like because most other people who are posting on these forums were adults. You know, they were much older than me. Most of the people who were in the IRC yeah. channel that I was hanging out were much older than me, and feeling very proud when I would tell people on the internet how old I was, and they would be surprised. You know, they would assume that I was in my 20s or something like that, because I thought that was old, because uh, I was 14. Um, you know, and, and, like, I absolutely, like, you were, you posted on Mastodon, like, asking, like, why does this, like, dental hygienist, she's, like, in her 30s, hang out with this, uh, hang out with this fourth grader? And I'm like, I totally remember at, when I was that age having friends that were significantly older than me, like, in real life. Um, usually with people who are friends of my parents who I started hanging out with. Um, I mean, did they, like, flirt with you and take you to the beach and, like, not have a social life other than you? I mean, also, in fairness, she's not uh, a person. She's not a human, but... uh, I know, but, like, that's... But, I mean, in fairness, like, she's not the perspective character, so we don't actually really know what she does outside of And that's part of the problem, is that, like, where it's Uh all filtered through his perspective and like sure when i was young i crushed on older on like adult women and wanted them to like respect me and think i was cool but they didn't because i was a fucking child i and so i definitely had the experience where i had you know older people who like like 
they ge- genuinely liked being around me. Like, and like, like when you were she, nine, uh, nine or 10. Yeah. Um, like I, I definitely had that experience and I've definitely had be- like, because you characterize her behavior as flirting and it really kind of isn't because again, he's nine. Um, you know, it, like think of, think of the context though, though, like a, this is anime and like half, half of, half of what we know about her is her boobs. They, they like, do the fucking boob thing as a running joke like, with, like, the first like, half of the movie, on. and then they drop it, and you're so mad about it still. <laughs> Why shouldn't I be? I don't... It's so I mean, fucking tedious. Like, you're fucking allowed... You're, you're allowed to be mad about it. I mean, okay. You know? <laughs> um, like, I found it kind of tedious as well, but it takes up such a small portion of the movie that it's it's not really... It didn't really bother me, you know, and like, like what we know about her, because I mean, this is a movie about children from children's perspective, from a child's perspective. And like, that's, that's kind of what they know about adults. Like they kind of know, like they don't know very much. They don't see very much. Like you, 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 you know, you remember being a kid and being surprised when you saw your teacher at the grocery store. Like, yeah, I know. But I'm like, you can, you can do this without just turning her into fan service. Like. You, like, I don't because you also said bad on Mastin about her being fan service, and she isn't even like her fan service is extremely chaste. I know, but in like, like, yeah, fan, but fan service for 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 the for a child, like, like, at no point does he like learn that she's like because she's not a real person. So, it, like, at no point does he have to come to terms with the fact that like she's a real person with her own life, and she's not just her boobs and when she humors him like because she's not she's just a she's just a, like a fake imaginary creature but it, who, it serves metaphorically the same purpose of realizing that this person belongs to a world that is completely separate from yours you know like she's she's a fucking akira or whatever like she she like when you, like the realization it's not the like literal actual like realization like the fucking the fucking that fucking social link in persona 3 where kenji wants to fuck his teacher people who played persona 3 right that sucks <laughs> right that's terrible um uh where he has to like come to terms with the fact that not only does his teacher not want to fuck him because he's a freshman in high school but also his teacher already has a boyfriend and is getting married like like that's one way to do it with the hyper literal sort of like very confrontational thing uh, of like oh you're you know but like also it's not like this is a movie targeted at children i i think i don't really know what demographic this movie is aimed at it's kind of a family <laughs> it's kind of a family movie but um you know and i feel like that's kind of a little harsh because all of these kids are going to learn that eventually like none of them are actually going to fuck their teachers like there's no actual danger here in terms then of why do it then why why is that like the first half of the movie it, I think, I think what she represents is she represents a world. She like both literally, like in in sort of all of her incarnations. I guess as we learn more about her, she represents this like stuff that he doesn't know about. She's an adult, like like she's a very rare thing for a child to encounter outside of school, which is an adult who is not your parents, you know, and like that being this something that you as a child you only ever really know other children and like adults that aren't your parents usually don't talk to you or or you really don't get to interact with them very much and she provides this window into the adult world that he wishes that he was a part of you know um and and it it especially especially like like the the stuff where where uh she talks about having like 
she talks about having nightmares and he's like oh there are things that scary than you and it's like yeah of course and it's like you know the the being directly confronted with the fact that like oh being an adult doesn't mean that i won't have any problems anymore being an adult like i i imagine that that in the future when i'm some when i'm when i'm an adult you know i'm gonna be a great person and everything like that but like you know i'll i'll still just be me you know um yeah i mean you can but you can you can do that like any number of ways without just being like Let's make the hot dental hygienist like treat him like a act like his mommy slash girlfriend. She does not act like his girlfriend. She acts like his mom. She she takes like she takes him home and like makes him dinner and lets him sleep over and, and then takes him on like dates to the beach. And then, They're like, not dates. Like like you like because all the the context for all of these things is so different because he's fucking nine like you can't interpret these things like they're dating or like any of that stuff because they're obviously not that they're the way they're they, the way they're framed they are like they are not the, like that's the whole that's that's why i'm so annoyed it's like that's, that's why, why that's i called it wish fulfillment th- that's what he thinks is happening but uh, like because yeah, movie, and, and, and they frame it from his perspective but the movie does not feel the need to spell out to the adults watching it that obviously an adult cannot date a child i think that's kind of condescending don't you think to assume that the audience watching it doesn't know that adults and children can't date or get married what, what what are you what what are you talking about? I'm saying I, I'm saying they they frame it from his perspective in a romantic way and yeah like that's that because that's how he thinks about it. But he, they the movie also knows that and as the audience aren't just fucking empty vessels into which they pour stories. They know that we already have preconceptions such as adults and children can't date each other. You know I know, but the still like putting it doing it like this and. Like making make and like and like you did making it making the the him the character we identify with or we're supposed to and never actually kind of like controverting that framing. Why does the movie so- have to explain to the audience that adult uh, that audience that already knows this that adults and children can't date each other? Oh my god! Are you deliberately misinterpreting? Like no, I don't know what you're saying. I'm saying, like, making this character, her her entire representation, be from the perspective of this nine-year-old, like, who thinks he's going to marry her, and that being that being her entire character, is so just, like, fucking tedious and unnecessary. I mean, no, no movie is necessary. We don't have to make movies at all. It... It it serves no purpose. It like it it like they could the things you said that like adults serving as a window to the other world learning learning that adults adults have their own problems like those are all like ideas you can convey in like if not original at least like interesting or. I can't think of another movie that features a relation that features like this specific setup where like a like a child is 
convinced where it's a movie about a child who's convinced that he's in love with an adult woman which I, I, and it's worth noting that that's the also the only way that you can explore another thing that the movie is about which is about people that age discovering what it means to have a crush on somebody or what it means to be in love with somebody or like that like the it's the age at which you first get over the sort of like ew girls are gross or ew boys are gross impulse and start and 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 start being able to think of but you don't understand any of this stuff. You have no, like, fucking conception of what any of this means except what, like, the little that you've maybe seen in TV shows and movies. And it's, I mean, that's another thing that this movie is about. It's about relationships between people and it's about, like, as a child yeah. coming to understand and discover that stuff on your own terms. And that's that's all fine. But, like, the fact that, like, their dynamic is so unrealistic and she give, she pays so much more attention to him than is, like makes any sort of sense and that it just completely like obliterates any sort of like symbolic message that it, that you, that might be there and just I don't really it think into, it's that unrealistic and just like I, I had thought no, it was. I had no real trouble believing that this happened especially because like one thing that the movie sort of obfuscates is its time scale this movie takes place over a really like four or five months you know yeah. and like yeah yeah like you can you can i could probably but like all it takes place over part of the end of the of a of a school year all of summer break and part of the beginning of a school year hmm. you know i'm not like, sure how i'm not sure what that how that it because we only we obviously we only see her when they're interacting like it it the the movie condenses it for the move the sake of the movie not being a million hours long but yeah. it's obviously like we don't it's it's not necessarily clear that she's spending that much time with him you know obviously we're skipping to the parts where they're together because that's the parts that are interesting because that's parts where their relationship can develop but like a lot of time passes between them like there's that whole section where they they like there's that whole section where they they spend like most of summer in a time uh in a time lapse looking at the sea okay. uh, and and that like that covers like a whole month and a half where oh, that, as oh, far as as far yeah that covers like yeah like a month and a half that covers most of the summer where no where he doesn't interact with the dentist lady really at all yeah and there's one part where he said that was the last time i saw her for a while yeah um, but all the same like <laughs> like as a 30 year old woman i'm not gonna like Take a nine-year-old home, like cook him dinner, let him sleep over. Well, you don't like take children. Him, take him out, take him down to the beach. Well, also, like I have adult friends, and like if I was friends with the parents, maybe I would tag along with them on a like a day trip. But it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, like I wouldn't behave as the dentist lady is behaving, but I'm also not the dentist lady. Because the dentist lady is a, is is is. Like an imaginary, not even human person, just that's just used for like this wish fulfillment bullshit. Why is it wish fulfillment? Because like what, what wish gets fulfilled? The a nine year old boy's wish of, of having a like a hot thirty year old woman like pay a lot of attention to him and like treat him like he's special and like an equal. Okay, why is that wish bad to fulfill? Also, who is it fulfilled for? Because also the other thing is, of course, that this nine-year-old boy is not a real person. 
for anyone identifying with him watching? I mean, I identified with him and I didn't feel like my wishes were fulfilled. I don't particularly well, have any strong wishes for a uh, hot you're not not you're not you're not nine anymore no I'm not nine anymore were you when you when you were when you were nine would that have been wish fulfillment I don't know and also like what's bad about wish fulfillment like inherently not especially not when it, bad inherently but when it's when it's like when it's like a male child feeling like not maybe not exactly entitled, but like, I mean, this is this is where this is this might partly be because I was drawing so many parallels between this and the other Marimi animes of the of the, of the of the of the male protagonist kind of inexplicably getting inc- like incredible amounts of attention and he doesn't really get that much attention except because I can't think of a better phrase emotional labor from the female like characters uh f- for no merit of his own just like, because he's the protagonist like why do people need like why do people have to have merit in order to deserve love? <sighs> god damn it i knew you were gonna um <laughs> fine merit was the wrong word but like like do i really have to like go through like all of feminist criticism about like male protagonists like yeah, I mean, I'll of, acknowledge that it's... Ha- having kind of like a default um, right to the female characters. I mean, I don't really necessarily think that that's what's happening here. But even if it is, like, I don't necessarily think that that makes this movie awful. Like, it it's it makes this movie awful if it makes every single movie that's ever used that trope awful. Like, you can't. Just like selectively pick and choose, like oh, I don't like this movie, so it's bad because of this. Because there's nothing else to this movie. I mean, I've just spent a whole bunch of time explaining what else there is to this movie, and and I don't buy it. I mean, that's your problem, I guess. Like, there's a ton more to this movie than just that relationship. He has relationships with a number of other characters, you know, yeah, especially- with, it, with 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 Hamamoto, who's also a two dimensional character. You know, there are characters in this movie besides Hamamoto and the dentist lady, right? I mean, minor ones. Yeah, like, but Hamamoto, frankly, isn't that major of a character. Like, she's not that much more major than Uchiro, um, you know, who who gets about as much screen time. And also has, he also, because he completes Project Amazon and discovers that the river is a complete loop, like, he has basically the same amount of plot agency as Hamamoto. Mm, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, she's definitely... I mean, she's the one who shows them the, the sea. They would never have discovered yeah. it without her. So right. I mean, I'm know. saying, I'm saying, she is a, she and dentist lady are the the two most important like secondary characters. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, but I don't think that Uchiro is that much less important. Like everybody in like there are less important characters, but they also all pretty much do one or two things that advance the plot. You know, like. Um, uh, fucking bully kid, like showing them the secret way out of the out of the back way out of the school, or Uchiro finding that the river is a complete circle, or um, yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they each have they, or, those. I mean, they, uh, they each have their one doing the, doing the scene with the bag. Like they all have they their have, thing, you know. They each which, have their. Hamamoto has more than that. What is does she do? Well, besides she she she, she like has. Her whole dynamic with with the bully, her whole dynamic with with the dentist lady, her whole dynamic like 
Yeah, but she we're talking is about plot agency. Character. And I guess the other thing that she does, and she doesn't actually do this, she leaves her diary laying around and her dad looks at it. She and I like that is is a super interesting way to do it. She doesn't give it up. Her dad takes the information away from her. You yeah. know, which which also is is uh, advances the plot. But like she has relationships with other characters, but in terms of plot agency, what else does she do? I wasn't talking about plot agency. I was, I was talking, talking about, about plot agency. <laughs> like their the size of their role in the film. You know, I, I, I don't think that, like, because Hamamoto is absent from huge chunks of this movie. Like, the first third, she's barely there at all until they find the yeah. sea. You know, she's yeah. absent from huge chunks of, like, the back half of the movie. Like, whereas Uchiro but I mean, basically, the time. Right, but I'm saying, like, wh- like for the, the, majority of the majority of the movie, it's one or two of the girls. Like, there. Yeah, uh, but, along with- like, the other parts in the movie, just because they're not as important doesn't mean they're not there. Like, those relationships that they have with Aoyama and with each other also matter and also convey meaning to the whole movie. Yeah, but, like, I'm not going to ignore, like, everything else just for those, like, like It's a slices. long movie with a lot of stuff in it. Like, like the the parts that you're talking about, it, it to me, they were extremely minor parts of the movie. Like... You know, like a few weird fan service shots and like a a relationship that you seem to think is weirder than I think it is, um, you know, between a child and a surrogate mother that, you know, she, I don't know why she pays so much attention to him, but it's, I don't, I don't really care. Like, I don't feel like that has to be justified in the way that you feel like it has to be justified. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's everything sort of, else yeah. was so uninteresting to me that like i didn't even it didn't even register yeah i mean i loved all that other stuff like there's so much in this movie that just it didn't it doesn't just remind me of what i was like in fourth grade it also reminds me of like like i one of the first notes that i took is i would have fucking loved this movie when i was 10 like this reminds me of what i wish my life was like what i what i wished when i was 10 that my life was like if i wasn't I mean, so much of a coward i may have too but that doesn't mean it's like 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 but it also would have reinforced certain like toxic like gender dynamics as well and so like it wouldn't necessarily have been a good movie to watch when i was a kid i don't i just like i don't think that the gender dynamics in this movie are notably more toxic than in most of the other things that we've watched it's i mean not nearly more but they're just so like blatant and like unnecessary like i don't know why you think that they're blatant because i barely noticed them Uh, i mean i don't know i mean there's no at this point there's no convincing either of us yeah you know like this in in this movie reminded me a lot of earthbound as well um it's got a huge huge earthbound streak running through it of of like the use of magical strange and magical elements as a metaphor for the bizarre adult adult world as seen by children Hmm. you know like that's that's earthbound's whole thing is 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 like you know whether or not any of this stuff literally happens is completely irrelevant because it's serves primarily as a metaphor for the way children experience the world which is as this place where you just like and i like this it's it's such a it's such a fourth grader thing of, of like, and, and, and even older thing, you know, and, and it's a thing that people, many people hold on to into adulthood, but it's such a childhood thing of 
simultaneously, like, feeling very confident that you've, you've got it figured out. Like, this is something that, like, what Aoyama does in this movie where he's just, like, doodling shit in his notebook and, like, convinced he's making progress when he's really just, like, drawing stuff is, like, I would do that all the fucking time as a child. And it's so, like, what, what this movie is more than it is an argument for some particular worldview. I think it does have an argument for a, a sort of surrealistic sort of like worldview built on whimsy. I do think it contains that, but what it really felt like to me was just like an extremely heartfelt and like authentic feeling depiction of what it is like to be in fourth grade, you know, of, of how big the world feels of how, you know, even tiny things get blown up to mag- to magnificent importance of of how because your world is so small, like whatever weird thing is happening in your town that week becomes you know a, a life or death situation, you know, and like it succeeds in my opinion massively in terms of just being a real authentic depiction of like just just what it would have been like just what it would just you know and it it made it made me feel because i don't i didn't like being a child and i would never want to go back to being a child and i would never want to have children because i wouldn't want to subject anybody to that um but it it reminded me as a lot of marimi stuff reminds me of is is that like there's more in the world between just like does like like happiness and suffering like there's more of a gray area between those things and that's where most of the world is and that's kind of, and like that's where all of the beautiful stuff is, is is in stuff you know like that's something like because one thing that i i didn't bring up is i really Wait, like how did way, where hmm? sorry go ahead is is i really like the way this movie looks i i think it it, it has a few like whack 3d stuff 3d sequences in it but even most of the 3d is is pretty good and um you know, most of the most of the way that the movie looks, I I really genuinely like it. I think that a lot of the character design is great. Um, you know, I, I I genuinely, and I think that's really important because a lot of it is about. I mean, it also kind of reminds me of uh, Bridge Terabithia to a certain extent. Um, I haven't seen that. Um, you know, and and other other stuff in that vein. Um, about children. Uh, and Bridge Terabithia is way fucking sadder, uh, and also to a certain extent more misogynistic than this movie. Um, oh, it's Terry Gilliam. Uh, it, it 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 is that book was I thought that book was written by a woman. Oh, um, oh, it was yeah, that. Catherine Patterson. What am, I, what am I thinking of? Well, I think of the movie adaptation. Yeah. Um, but that yeah, the also movie the movie is terrible. By, that wasn't done by Terry Gilliam. Yeah. yeah, the film Bridge Terabithia is terrible. The novel uh, is... Uh, anybody who read Bridge Terabithia as a child will uh, very strongly relate to the intense feeling of... Because of, Bridge Terabithia, especially if you read it like I did at around the time that the movie was coming out, um, it, it which was also at around the time that Harry Potter was at peak pop- popularity, Bridge Terabithia kind of promises you this like huge grand fantasy adventure and it instead is instead the saddest fucking thing in the universe 
Um, it is, it is like, it, it, it is all the more effective as just a brutal gut punch where like, imagine a children's author yelling at a, at an audience full of children. You're all going to die someday, motherfucker. And so will everyone you love. Oof, I do uh, it's a, it's, it's a wild book. Uh, I, I will yeah, say. I'm not sure what you mean by like, by this movie showing that there's more between like happiness and suffering i mean like that's that's it's it's something that because aoyama and also and this is especially true if you if you're doing sort of comparative analysis between all three uh marine movies that we've watched um but like all of these all three of the protagonists have these very black and white this very black and white view of the world especially senpai and night is short and tiny galaxy but they all have this sort of very black and white view of the world of of like success or failure success or failure things are good or they're bad you know they're they're they want to simplify things they want to understand things they want to they and they want and they especially want things to go according to plan you know because um you know and and like you know i I mentioned this earlier but senpai just more more, more about embracing ambiguity than yeah than 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 yeah. Uh, but like the moral lesson at the end of the Tatami Galaxy is that you know if nothing ever went disastrously wrong during your time during Senpai's time at at university he would have had a really boring time and it would have been awful and then he would have become trapped in an infinite maze of tatamis um <laughs> but like it we like the part of college that's fun the, the the book the, the show is arguing that like the part of college and indeed the part of being alive that's fun is stuff going wrong in interesting ways you know because yeah. like like you when you get out of that you get out with this crazy fucking story about like you know the fucking gorilla theater and fucking uh swift-footed katatsu and all this fucking shit that's happening and like none of it is good per se but it's also not bad and on the other side of it you're like man that was weird that was a weird experience that i had and that's yeah yeah that's kind of the point um you know is that like so so less about less about less about the the kind of the uh gap between like happiness and suffering and more between like the embrace of like ambiguity and chaos and yeah like not and and not trying to have a tight grip on on everything yeah what makes life worth living is the unexpected and things that you don't understand and if when you have the answers to all of the mysteries then that's when things become boring yeah yeah and i, and I think the ultimate problem is that at no point did i or did i want to identify with ayama um i tried and failed to identify with the dentist lady because she's so two-dimensional and so I and so I felt completely kind of locked out. From yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie definitely movie. has some like manic pixie dream girl shit. You know, like both yeah. both um, Hamamoto and Dennis Lady. I also love that Dennis Lady. I noticed this about halfway through the movie that Dennis Lady didn't have a name. She's right, just right. she's just Dennis Lady, uh, which in retrospect is foreshadowing that she's not real. Um, uh, yeah. But at at the time, I was like, man, well, I, I was. I mean, I mean, also, it would be perfectly reasonable, like, I yeah, to just assume that this is another like thing about like you don't always know the adults' names. Yeah, when you're I was a like, child. oh man, Aoyama, like, absolutely. Why would he know her name? She's just Dennis Lady. <laughs> like, right, he's right, he's right, a dipshit right. child. Why would he know her name? Yeah. Um, you know, but it it is. 
I think more appropriately interpreted as as foreshadowing of the fact that she's not actually a person. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know. When I was watching, I felt that in order to identify with the kid, I would have to embrace some very ugly parts of like myself, which I. <laughs> did not want to do and yeah i mean for me it's like it's it's like i didn't feel like i had to embrace this like to myself i had to acknowledge that like yeah i was like that it was really funny that i was like that i i totally like when looking at him just be like a way too smart dipshit like smart ass it was just like oh man i totally would have done that that's hilarious like like i i look back on myself being a dipshit asshole and just be like (laughs) It's really funny how much of an asshole I was, and I can look back on it now that I'm I, hopefully not an asshole. <laughs> I'm still an asshole. <laughs> um, but I can look back on it now and and laugh about how much of a jerk I was, you know, and see it in this character and just be like, man, like, because I, I know, or I don't know, obviously, this is not a real person, but it's like, you know, projecting myself out it's like you grew up fine like you grow out of this like it's a thing that it's a way that kids are is is it's one of the archetypes that kids fit into is the smart ass you know and like you don't necessarily need to tell them that it's bad because they'll learn eventually like it's part of growing up if if you're if you're a smart ass is that you grow out of it you know or you become elon musk i guess i don't yeah because i don't i just because i just don't see what's interesting about about like if this is like we've talked about like how some anime is more well not some not some but there's always there's a degree of kind of um pedagogy or things are more or less like didactic and if this if like if this like i don't i don't see the point of this representation if it's not didactic if it yeah it's not to didact- it's not didactic so i don't really understand why this is an appealing or interesting like character archetype yeah i mean like for me what i enjoyed about the movie like i i mean like i can i can try and defend the stuff that it's doing all i want but really what i enjoyed about the movie was that i liked the characters i thought that they were they reminded me of people that i knew which is something a quality that i like in characters you know they mm-hmm. they they, they they behaved authentically, but were also very funny, you know, and not like, and especially like, you know, it's, 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 I like Marimi's weird. I, and I like, this is why I like Haruki Murakami and why you would hate Haruki Murakami is that I just love the weird bullshit. You know, I just love Coke cans turning into penguins. And I think that the penguins are really well animated and that there are oh, great. The penguins are cute. The penguins are cute. Like I had no problem with the penguins, yeah. please. I'm not like... saying that you had a problem with the penguins. I'm saying that that was enough for me. <laughs> the penguins are enough for me. <laughs> uh, because oh, okay. it, there's like, there's such a brilliant choice in terms of, of like, if you're going to make, cause like fundamentally this is a comedy movie. Like it's, it's a comedy movie with some like huge, with like very large ambitions in terms of like like very large metaphysical ambitions, I guess. Um, 
but it's it's fundamentally a comedy and like penguins are a great animal to choose for that because they just sort of waddle around like i absolutely lost my shit in the first scene when the guy driving the mail truck hits the penguin with his car and the penguin just <laughs> flies have, through I the have, air i have a gif of that oh you do that's so good yeah, yeah he just flies the, the air and then he gets up and he's fine it's in the thread <laughs> yeah just yeah. every every time a penguin falls over is so funny it, the, yeah the sound effects are extremely good yeah the sound effects are great um <laughs> One and there are tons of like little touches in the animation that I really really loved. Like when, like uh, near the end of of the of the movie, when uh, Aoyama's little sister comes running in, screaming about how mom is crying about how mom is going to die, and he gets up to go and get mom, and he bangs his head on the uh, <laughs> uh, on the thing, which I feel like is is it's because he's in that moment he's trying to be like the strong big brother who can be there for his little sister and then he's just such a dipshit like we just get this fucking slapstick <laughs> moment and just completely undercuts it and reminds you as an as a viewer that he's just a fucking kid like don't buy into his own rhetoric about himself because because the thing about this movie is that it doesn't actually think that highly of Aoyama. like he's, he's a precocious kid or whatever but like there are plenty of scenes and especially a lot of a lot of his animation and especially that he has the fucking little ahoge hair thing um that they um like his which they very carefully give a shot of in like the first two minutes of the movie to remind you this kid's a dipshit um the what thing ahoge it's not ahegao it's uh ahoge i know i know yes ahoge is japanese for stupid hair um and it is it is a common trope in anime where they they have the little hair thing that sticks up and that's how you know that they're a moron Uh Uh um you know, and he has that, and like he's a precocious child, but he's still a fucking idiot. Like he, <laughs> and the movie knows that. Like it, it oh, it's like that post from Dank earlier. That I, am I very smart? Yes. Am I also a fucking dipshit? Yes. I contain multitudes. <laughs> this is what Hegel called dialectics. <laughs> you know, but it's like his his rhetoric about. Like, there are a ton of, like, and, it, and the movie never does, says explicitly, but there are a ton of little touches, especially, like, like that moment where he bonks his head, or just, like, the way he's animated, or especially the conversations that he has with his dad. Um, like, this was, this, when, it was during the second conversation that he has with his dad when he's waiting for the bus, when I felt the most, like, this was, when I, when I wrote down that note about it being, like, earthbound, because his dad is such an earthbound dad. Oh yeah. Um, his dad is absolutely like he's never around really. He's not he doesn't really participate in the plot, but he talks to him occasionally, and he always has just this sort of like like oblique sage advice. You know, he's just he's such an earthbound dad. He's such such that character, and especially like the scene with the bag where he like turns the bag inside out and says like, oh well, the entire world can you can see that the entire world is now inside the bag, you know, and like whether or not that's like metaphysically cogent what it the, the actual purpose that it serves for aoyama is for him to just be like oh shit <laughs> like I, oh, I had never thought of it that way before holy fuck <laughs> like like to just make, just like increase the size of his brain a little bit you know okay. um go back to your thing i don't have going back to your thing about why i'd hate murakami i think i'd hate murakami for other reasons like i have no problem with like surrealism or absurdism no no it's not because it's uh, absurd it's because he has the same combination that marini has of absurdism and misogyny no i know but that's why i hate him <laughs> yeah. like, but what, the, what you were citing earlier is that uh when you start going on how yeah. much you love the shit about the penguins and the cans and that's, said, that's I mean. also why you'd hate murakami like i had no problem with penguins or soda cans <laughs> that's what i mean is that for me the weird shit is enough for me to put to put up with basically everything else because i just i just enjoy it so much i just okay. it, it, it warms my soul 
Um, and and I'll put up with with most stuff. Um, you know, Murakami. I like Murakami less than I like Marimi because um, Marimi is amazingly less misogynistic than Murakami. Although I, Murakami isn't misogynistic, he's just like a dirty old man. Um, that's that's misogynistic. It's a kind of misogyny, but it's it misogyny feels like too harsh of a word. He's just horny. No, like, no, don't, don't don't it's it's we gotta we've gotta we've gotta it's not it's rarely too harsh of a word. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. Um you know, and so like like especially especially when reading one Q eight four, which has a one of the narrators, one of the two narrators is a woman, and like most of the time she's handled pretty well. Like she's fucking super mm-hmm. cool. She's like an assassin who murders uh domestic abusers. Um <laughs> Uh, she's super fucking cool, but then occasionally she'll just like he'll just like write a scene that has no purpose where she'll just like stand like get out of the shower and look in the mirror and complain about how lopsided her boobs are. <laughs> and it's just like, oh come on, dude. <laughs> God. Uh, that's not that's far from the grossest. I can't I, I the problem with 1Q84 is that while I do like 1Q84 a lot, I cannot talk about the problem with it. The, my big, big problem with it without spoiling it because the big, big problem with it is also the climax of the story. Please, I don't care. <laughs> um, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ruin it. But yeah, it's uh, it's you. It's you think that this that this age gap relationship is problematic. Uh, <laughs> we won't create four. I won't actually. No, don't. Um, Alice and Dean both read it and they both liked it, and it's surprising to me. Um, because I have yeah. such we I have such reservations about that book. It's my it's one of probably my least favorite Murakami, and I still like it because it's still it's there's because it's like a thousand pages long, and that stuff makes up such a small amount of it that I can think about the rest of it and just be like, man, this is a really good, interesting story. And then I remember you should read the entire thing on stream, <laughs> like I did the like I did the plague over the course of ten years. I will read all of hey reading reading the. A three hundred and some page book only took me like nine hours. Yeah, nine hours. So three hundred. It's like a thousand divided. So, so it it would take you like twenty seven hours. That's just like a couple weeks stream. <laughs> Maybe I'll switch my uh, my stream uh, reward from. There we go. Uh, from analytic, from uh, continental philosophy to I will read uh, a chapter of One Q Eight Four by Hurricane Murakami. I would I, no. There's enough. Like I, I will unsu- I'll, um, unsubscribe. One Q Eight Four. One Q Eight Four would actually get me banned from Twitch. It is too pornographic. Uh, Good heavens. Uh, also, so would Kafka on the shore. I don't think uh, I could read Hard World Blender than the end of the world. Uh, the Wind Up Bird Chronicle would also get me banned from Twitch. It's too pornographic. Um, Norwegian Wood would absolutely get me banned from Twitch. Fuck that book. Um, so yeah, Hard Boiled One. And that's one's much shorter. That's only like 400 pages. Is that your recommendation for this podcast? No, I already recommended Hard Boiled One like 10 episodes ago. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we've talked in circles around each other enough. This is the first episode where we've made it an hour and eight minutes in and we haven't even summarized the plot. I was about to say, are we, do, do we I will have see, to? I will see how fast I can summarize it. Okay. Okay. So this, 
uh, Pinkman Highway is a, a movie about a young boy named Aoyama who is a very, he's very precocious um, and he keeps this notebook where he details, he doodles all of his quote unquote research in. And his current research project is that he's trying to find this, he's called Project Amazon and he's trying to find the source of the river in their town with his friend uh, uh, Uchiyo? Uchira? What's his fucking name? <laughs> we didn't even introduce the movie this episode, we just got right into it. I mean, we're talking about we, Penguin we, Highway. Eight minutes in, we're we're about ready to cut it. Yeah, we're talking about Penguin Highway, directed by Hiroyasa Ishida, and based on a novel by Tomihiko Marini. So, Cass, did you like this movie? <laughs> uh, yeah, the ma- so there was a manga uh, of of based on based on the book that was it, that demographic hmm. of that was Sainin. So, Sainin. Sainin. Um, so I assume that the film is similar, and that this is not actually. Well, I think I think I, didn't, I think it is Sainen. Yeah, I don't think it's Sainen. Sainen, Sainen. Yeah, I have no idea. So I think it's just Sainen because. Yeah. But Sainen. Um, I always, whenever I say it like that, uh, whenever whenever I pronounce it, I always think of this is a fucking deep cut. It was a very old YouTube video by uh, the YouTuber Ashens where he reviews uh, this piece of like lcd this lcd game system called a pop station um it was like the this is from like 2005 and i remember losing my mind at it when i was like back way back then like in the early days of youtube uh and it was and on the side of the and i don't know why i remember this i have not watched this video in like 10 years but on the side of the box um instead of saying pop station it says it like the tops of the t's have been cut off and so it says pop ca and uh and i just and every time i say Sinon, I think of Ashen saying CA and um anybody huh. who remembers that video, hopefully you found you found that insightful. Uh it, it's actually it's actually Sainan. It's not because Sa- Sainan would be it would be S A I. Yeah, Sainan. Yeah. Um, Which still reminds me of C A N too much. Um anyway. Uh so so back to the plot summary. So they uh Within the first few minutes, they run into a bunch of penguins in an open field while walking to school, and everybody's talking about the penguins, and everybody's excited about the penguins, and they decide to start investigating the penguins. So, um, uh, Aoyama and Uchida, that, that was why I went to the Wikipedia article, was to find, uh, was to find his name. Aoyama and Uchida um, decide to, to go around town interviewing people about the penguins. Um, and then, uh, while they're doing this, uh, Aoyama and Uchida's, Uchida's um, bully, Suzuki, uh, beats Aoyama up and ties him to a vending machine um, and then pisses on his map of the of the town that he's drawn and then um, uh, the Dennis lady shows up uh, and Dennis Dennis lady is this girl uh, girl this woman who works at as a dental hy- <laughs> as a dental hygienist at the dentist that uh, Aoyama goes to do we know she's to. a hygienist or did I just make that up yeah she's a hygienist she goes into the office um, well she could be like I guess is that the only option she could be a dentist proper, but I don't think she's the dentist there because she works behind the desk. Well, well, she could just be the receptionist then. But th- but she goes into the office and does work in there. Oh. So she does like teeth, tooth work. So she's probably teeth, hygienist. tooth work. She's like a, a hygienist or a dental assistant. Um, yeah. Think, yeah. And I think it's just such a small office that they have her working the desk as well. Makes sense because uh, it's not a very large building. Um, and he is infatuated with this with this this lady. Um, and stares at her boobs all the time. Uh, and so she, ha- she stumbles upon him and then 
uh, frees him and turns a soda can into a penguin, which leads him to realize that she is the source of the penguins. Um, and so they start investigating this. Um, they, uh, Uchida uh, has a penguin on, on his roof that he's been keeping on his roof. They take him on the train, and then upon leaving the station, the penguin becomes sick, and then they, this, they realize that... Um, like the penguin becomes so sick that he transforms it back into a soda can. Um, and then uh, they realize that the, that the penguins probably can't stray too far from the town because they get shown by Hamamoto, who's another classmate of theirs, who is also precociously smart, um, which leads uh, Aoyama to feel simultaneously threatened and uh, aroused. Um, but he doesn't really understand these feelings. She shows them this place in the woods that she has started spreading an urban legend about um, so that people will stay away. Uh, but it's actually a big open field in the middle of the woods containing an enormous sphere of water floating above the ground um, and that she calls the sea. Um, and they don't know what it is, and so they decide to just spend a bunch of time over summer break uh, sitting in lawn chairs under an umbrella watching it. Uh, they build a a tiny little like explore, exploratory vehicle out of uh, Legos with a thermometer inside to try to figure out what the temperature of the thing is, and then it escapes, like, they throw it into the thing, and then it gets pulled in, um, it, it gets pulled into the sphere, uh, so it's, so it's lost. Um, so, after they spend a bunch of time watching the sphere, um, eventually Suzuki follow Suzuki and his, his gang of thugs follow them into the woods and discover the sphere as well, uh, and they are threatened by Suzuki until Dentist Lady shows up at the penguins and saves them uh, from Suzuki, and Suzuki runs away. Um, and then uh, Hamamoto warns Suzuki not to tell anybody about the sphere or else uh, she'll never forgive him, uh, and which is a big deal because Suzuki has a big crush on Hamamoto, which uh, Ayayama uses to his advantage. He discovers he's discovered this at the, the summer festival that they went to. And there, so while he's like buried underneath a pile well of dudes... It was it was it was his little small friend who figured yes, out, and he didn't believe he didn't believe him. Yes, he didn't believe him, but he used this information to his advantage, um, and basically said, you know, if you if you like Hamamoto, you should just tell her, and then he gets super embarrassed, which is a bold fucking gambit because he could easily just respond by just being like, yeah, I guess, and you know, just totally flip it around on him, but he doesn't. Um, yeah, he doesn't I was, call the. I was partly bluff, expecting but... that to be where this movie went, where he just called the fucking bluff. Um, you know, so that Aoyama was was confronted with his his was just just had his, his fucking smug shit thrown in his face, um, which would have been really <laughs> that would have been that, oh, that would have been nice, yeah. It would have been really funny, but uh, instead it works. Suzuki runs away, and then um, people start discovering these strange, unidentified creatures um, around the around the town, which were foreshadowed because we heard uh, Aoyama and the Dennis lady play chess every day at the cafe, seemingly every day usually often at a cafe. Uh, and she tells him about, she's been having nightmares very often about the Jabberwock from the Lewis Carroll poem. Um, which is also a pretty, as a pull is a pretty solid indication that this movie takes inspiration from surrealism, or at least has uh, an interest in the idea of nonsense or an interest in the idea of nonsense as an antidote to the realistic attitude. But right. What did she say she was reading it for originally? She said uh, like, I was reading this because chess. I, Okay, <laughs> because Alice in Wonderland does contain chess. Um, um, oh, it was like collect collected. Yeah, Lewis I Carol. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, Alice in Adventures in Wonderland does indeed contain chess, and so she was reading it, but then she got freaked out by the Jabberwock <laughs> because there was a scary illustration of it, and so she started having nightmares about the Jabberwock, and that's what's stalking around the woods, but we don't know that yet. Um, and so they go, Hamamoto and Uchida, uh, or uh, the lady and Aoyala decide to go to the coast, decide to go to the seaside town that lady says she's from, and every time they've said the phrase seaside town, I got the song Seaside Town by Bath stuck in my head. Um, oh. Which I would—I was thinking about using the as the outro for this, but it actually literally contains voice samples from Kiki's Delivery Service, so I will save it from <laughs> uh, save it for when we watch Kiki's Delivery Service. Um, I didn't. Uh, sorry, I had to get idea a drink. That, no, it's very—it's a very nice thing that idea to think that we'll have future podcasts. <laughs> I doubt we will ever watch anything you hate as much as this. Yeah, it'd be hard. It, it would be hard. Like, like we've watched a lot of... Like, you didn't even hate Paprika as much as this, and Paprika no. is bad. Paprika, yeah. It, yeah, it was just... Yeah, like Paprika is so much grosser in its misogyny than this movie is. Yeah, but everything about this... Yeah, this movie, just everything about it was just kind of finally calibrated to piss <laughs> I don't under I don't quite understand it either. Uh, yeah, uh, so... This is a long movie, by the way. There's a lot of stuff that happens in it. And so they discover that uh, not only can the penguins not leave the town without getting sick, but the, the dentist lady can't leave the town without getting sick. Um, and she like causes Jabberwocks to appear out of the train platform in a really cool hallucination, weird dream sequence thing. Um, and then uh, they go, uh, Hamamoto and Uchida find out that the forest is blocked. The forest entrance that they've been using has been blocked off. Uh, and when they go inside, they find out that, um, Hamamoto's father is conducting the research because we found out from a conversation with Hamamoto's father and the dentist lady that Hamamoto's father stole uh, stole Hamamoto's notebook that she'd been keeping the notes in um, and, and was using it to conduct to conduct research because he's an asshole. Also, he looks like Uncle Iroh from Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh. Um, I, I wrote that down. I really Extended don't think he universe? looks... I really don't think that he looks that much like Uncle Iroh from okay. Avatar The Last Airbender. He just looked like what I remembered Uncle Iroh looking like, but then I looked up a picture of Uncle Iroh and he doesn't really look like Uncle Iroh. Uh, um, speaking of extended universes, do we know if this is part of the Ava extended universe or not? I mean, this is obvious. That, that fucking sphere is obviously an angel. Oh, fuck, you're right. Okay. Like, that, okay. Is, that is such a fucking angel. Um, so yeah, this is, this is clearly a part of the, the Evangelion extended universe. Um, and and dentist lady's just cower. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, she's also an angel, and the penguins are also collectively an angel. Ah. Uh, or are they all ray clones? <laughs> <laughs> all version zero point five beta alpha version zero point five ray clones. <laughs> just get just get into a car. He's sitting in the basement of dirt, just being like, "Fuck, I'm in a penguin again." <laughs> Um, so, uh, Aoyama, uh, so the, the sphere keeps, ex- the, 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 uh, the sphere expands mysteriously, uh, and is, has consumed Hamamoto's father and is going to consume the entire town. The school has a lockdown. Aoyama, uh, escapes with the help of Suzuki and Uchida and, uh, Habamoto to meet up with the dentist lady. And Aoyama, while he's running, suddenly has a eureka moment, uh, and solves the mystery and and using the information that that everybody throughout the the, the, the plot has given him, he figures out that the, the the sea is actually a hole in the universe, and that the penguins are trying to destroy it, and that the lady and the penguins were brought to Earth in order to fix the hole in reality. Um, and so the lady 
Um, was uh, I completely lost my train of thought? Okay, so so the lady makes a million bajillion penguins, and they run through the streets, and they the penguins kill cops because they're cool. Um, <laughs> Uh, they don't really kill cops; they just attack cops. It's not. This isn't Akira. Um, this Can't is like whole, this movie. Like the the end of this movie is just wholesome Akira. Like it's just good. <laughs> it's just good wholesome Akira. Um, and she creates a ton of penguins, and then all the penguins are running, and they they pick them all up, and they get carried on the sea of penguins into the sea, and then they get they transported through a hole in reality into Kiki's delivery service. Um, Yo. Where oh, uh, that, oh yeah, that is Kiki's delivery service. It fucking totally is just the town from yeah. Kiki's delivery service. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Um. Uh. So they 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 are on an enormous ocean and they they get carried on a raft of penguins to the seaside to the seaside town, which does it doesn't really look it really it looks like the t- the first town from Chrono Cross. Um. But it also kind of looks like the seaside town from Kiki's delivery service, especially at a distance. Uh, and there they find Hamamoto's dad and all of his researchers who have like. You know, they're, like, huddled up in this completely empty seaside town uh, with, like, a bonfire. And then they're like, we're here to save you because this this child and this dental assistant are here to save you. Um, and then they destroy the then they destroy the sea and all the penguins. They, they pop the giant bubble and then the penguins are all over the town and there's tons and tons of penguins everywhere. Um, and then the lady, uh, eventually, gradually, all the penguins disappear and the lady disappears, too. Um and well, first they have they have their little their little cup of adult coffee yes he has coffee because yeah. at the very beginning of the movie he asks his dad if he can try coffee and he tries yeah, it yeah. and he goes Ugh! and then at the end of the movie he's grown as a person so he can he can handle coffee now oh no he still can't <laughs> it's still bitter he's and she's like don't force yourself <laughs> but uh, he doesn't immediately react and go Bleh! that's true you know he's grown yeah, and, then she, and then she's like why do you think i was born and he says in order to be my masato figure and <laughs> Um, and she vanishes you know and then uh the penguins disappear and then he sees a pet he sees a what looks like a penguin outside of the cafe window and then the guy who owns the cafe walks in and is like what the fuck are you doing here um oh, yeah, this is how this is like a couple of years later probably or no, this is this is like the same i, I thought it was well, the same day but it might be no, his outfit's totally different. Oh yeah, so it was, uh, it, I don't think it's a couple and, years later, but it might be. A, and the and the Wikipedia says something. One day I, it says one day. I was about the cat, so I'm at, and he's not doesn't look really? that much older. He's just wearing different clothes, so it might be. Um. Um, and he sees what looks like a penguin from a great distance, yeah. and then he. I had a feeling. I, I got the I got the impression it was it was a fair amount of time later. Yeah, I don't know. But it, it's not really clear how much time he's not obviously not that yeah. much older. So it can't be that much time later, but it might, he did look be... a little older to me, uh-huh. at least. Maybe that was just the clothes. Uh-huh. He was dressing older anyway. <laughs> he's wearing a, he's wearing a three piece suit. At a I mean, he was square. he was dressed yeah he was dressed like a little nerd. <laughs> Do you have kids at your school when you are in high school or middle school who wore suits to school? Uh, maybe one in high school. Um, I had a group like, of kids. I went I went to a I went to a like a like a. The hippie kind of charter school, yeah, up, up through junior high, so like definitely not there. That sounds exactly yeah. the sort of place where people would wear suits to school. It wasn't. It wasn't a private charter. It was a public. No, exactly. Like alternative sort of like hippy dippy like weirdos who would go to a private charter who go to a charter school sound yeah. exactly like the sort of people who would be like, "I'm an adult. I'm going to wear a suit to school." No, they all they were all just like either like weirdos or kids who dropped out of other schools 
Yeah, exactly. There's a certain type of weirdo who's like, I'm going to wear a suit to school. There were a group of kids in my middle school who uh, started Tie Day Friday where everybody, they would all come in wearing... Jesus Christ. Yeah, every Friday they would come in either wearing just a tie this or... Is a, maybe this is, I think this is an East Coast thing, honestly. The more ambitious among them would wear a full suit and tie. Yeah, no, uh, no. That, that, was like, was, they thought it was funny. <laughs> there was like one kid in my like 2000 person high school who did that. Um, uh, it, if was, you, it was not readers if you uh if you had a kid at your school in middle school or high school or even in elementary school who wore a suit to school uh write in <laughs> tell us your story anyways for jerks at gmail.com i want to know i want to know how widespread this phenomenon is because i've seen people obliquely refer to it occasionally on twitter about like the kind of person who wore a suit to school um huh. and like i totally know who that kind of person is um, I don't actually. Yeah, I totally am familiar with the archetype of the, the kid who wore a suit to school. Um, <laughs> it's very interesting. I, I do wonder if it's an East Coast thing or if it's just like a, a public school thing. Uh, right. It seems yeah. honestly, it seems more like a private school thing. I did not go to a private school. I went to. Well, neither did I. But I'm saying, like that to me, that feels like a thing that kids well, would do at a private school. Well, at a private school, you can't wear a suit to school because you have to wear your uniform. Which might be a suit, but it's usually it's usually a right. blazer or something like that. Right. Like it's not like a suit, you know. It's your it's your uniform, so you can't really customize in that in that way. But like at a private school, there's definitely that kid who thinks that he's at a, at a public high school. There's definitely a kid who thinks that he's fancier than everybody else and wants to, because it definitely comes along with like the sort of like late two thousands uh, obsession with the idea of like being classy that people hmm. had that led to people to wear fedoras. Um, yeah, I think yeah. By that time, I was like, I mean. I'm a, I'm a like you're a little younger than I am, so yeah. like that, I, that might that might have be, be there might have been a trend that you might I have just missed. missed. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but like, did you have kids who wore fedoras when you were in high school? <sighs> maybe just maybe a little bit at the tail end. Yeah, yeah. Because, there, because there are kid, who, kid who wears a suit to school and kid who wears a fedora to school are two different archetypes, but they are there's like a Venn diagram overlap. Mm, um, okay. You know, because there was also like the '90s like zoot suit, like the early 2000s like zoot suit revival trend, where like people would wear uh, like like zoot suits and chain wallets. Did they now? Yeah, that was like a late '90s thing. Like, was uh, this, is this related to just, like the Justin and Timberlake and Britney Spears denim suits? No, that's a little later than that. But no, this is like this is like there was like a swing revival in the late '90s and early oh. 2000s, which is separate from the electro swing trend that would happen a decade later. This was like actual swing. Interesting. Um, and and people would wear like fucking zoot suits and chain wallets and fedoras and stuff like that, and it was bad because it was like it was just like skimming like the worst cruft off of the top of 20s fashion and then like 90sifying it to the max. Um, Baby, that sounds good. It was awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't saying that in response. When I say to when I say when I say good, I wasn't saying that in response to you. I was that. Oh good. yeah. Um, but yeah, zoot suit. If you wore a zoot suit in the nineties, also write in. Um, <laughs> so I we can thing, make fun of you. Yeah, so we can make fun of you. <laughs> um, if you, yeah, the the other one. I'm glad that we didn't have this or coming around now because like now it's it's literally the 20s now again so now it'd be a perfect time for the fucking swing revival to come around again but we already had like not that long ago we had that terrible Baz Luhrmann Great Gatsby movie already I'm fine fine with flapper fashion coming back my I told you about my art history professor who dressed like a flapper right uh no oh yeah my art history professor this semester she she's super cool she's great uh and she uh but she dressed 
like not she wasn't like totally in on it but she did have the flapper haircut um and she wore uh and she she wore sort of like vintage sort of retro styled clothes and like on some days she was definitely more flapper looking than 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 others um but it's great because she's like she's like an egyptologist and so she goes like every like winter and summer break she goes to egypt and so there are a lot of pictures of her like in ancient egyptian tombs like she's in some sort of fucking adventure movie from the 30s that whips Um, yeah she's she's so great she's cool she was awesome um um, what on earth is it? We, <laughs> this is the most entertaining content we've made. The whole episode came from me joking about Aoyama being the kind of kid to wear a suit to school. <laughs> oh, right. That's how it started. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to check one more time to see if we got any questions. We got one question <gasps> that I saw, and it's. You're going to be disappointed. <laughs> oh. uh, but it is, it is pretty funny. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. We got a second question. Two questions from the same person. We got these questions on Macedon from, from Lunch Girl. Uh, the, first, the first question she asks is, how does this compare to other racing anime? Thanks. <laughs> um, I've never watched a racing anime. I've never watched Initial D or anything like that. Um, so I am not the person to talk to about this. I'm not generally a sports anime fan. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I would probably like, I, I've never really gotten into a sports anime in part because a lot of the sports anime that people talk about a lot are people are, are ones like free or Haikyuu that people talk about because the boys in them are hot. Yeah. Um, and then they post like these, like they post like huge, like grids with all the characters in them from all of these fucking uh-huh. hot boy sports animes and all the characters look uh-huh. exactly the fucking same. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I so. talked about how, how much I hate or not, not hate is the right word. How, how disappointed I, I am as like a, as like a, as like a, just an extremely disappointed parent towards the badminton anime, right? Oh, yeah. You have mentioned that before. I don't know if like, you mentioned it on this podcast. What's the badminton okay. anime called? Uh, Hanabado. I should, oh, yeah, I, should, I mean, going into it, I should have known it was going to be disappointing because the, I, I went and read like some of the manga that it's based on and it is just, complete trash but like the first well really the first episode of Hanabado is excellent like and then it just immediately becomes just shit from trash hell and it's like if they hadn't been I'm, I think if they hadn't been bound by the, the manga they it might have been okay but like because they have to f- like they have to track the bullshit plot of the manga it just immediately goes to hell and yeah it sucks it really um, sucks yeah the the only sports anime that i'm kind of interested in watching and i have this on our on our google doc list uh for sh- shows that you might watch in the future is ping pong the animation uh, uh which i've heard amazing things about it's also directed by masaki yuasa Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I did like I, I mean i did like yuri on ice i know you i have, have I, I don't dislike you, you have reasons ice. i have person i have personal reasons that prevent yeah, me no, from I, watching yuri on ice yeah i know we you mentioned that before uh, um but yeah like it, 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 i i guess i should mention it yeah i i am one of the loathsome people i'm who, glad i was not friends with you and yuri on ice was airing because we i probably wouldn't be friends with you anymore interesting uh, i unfollowed interesting. a bunch of people during the yuri on ice craze 
I'm like I would probably still be friends with you, or if we we're as close friends as we are now. But if I, we were like acquaintances during the Yuri and I's period, we would not know each other. I mean, I didn't like post about it constantly. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, I I mean I've seen the way you post about killing Ave, and if you had done that even once, out the fucking door. <laughs> no, it is not. It is not. Um. Yeah. Um. but yes uh so the second question also from lunch girl uh is uh what do you think the film's message was about science in the end what was your personal response to it to it do you think that there's a viable place for the main character's a guileless wonder at it today um and that's one thing that we didn't talk about at all really which is i'm glad that this question came up because it's definitely um when i was when i was the protagonist's age when i was aoyama's age um, I was more of a science person than I am now. Um, and I turned into the sort of art nerd that I am today pretty much entirely because I'm bad at math and I'm bad at science and I don't like it. Um, which has left me, left me with a residual, uh, enthusiasm for science and mathematics that is not backed up by any actual knowledge or skills. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, were you a science kid? Um... Not really. You did like poetry shit in high school, so I assume you weren't like yeah, a science kid. Yeah, like in up through junior high, I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't really much of anything. <laughs> you, uh, the thing that's always surprising to me is that like you, unlike me, you did a bunch of like extracurricular shit. Like you put on, you produced plays and like wrote poems and stuff like that. Yeah. And you like entered contests. I didn't do any of that shit. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. In high school, I thought I want. I thought I would going to like movies um as like a screenwriter um yeah, but i'm trying to think pri- i'm trying to think prior to that when i was like nine years old it, like what my ambitions were and i'm having a, a hard time i've talked in the stream about how uh when i was a child my dream job was everything except president um oh yeah, yeah 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 well that was like when i was like younger than six probably i was in kindergarten when when yeah. i when i gave that answer maybe even younger than that like i, I would have been like three or four when i said everything except president um but I, mean, I think at one point i wanted to play i think at one point i wanted to make video games even though i didn't even know what programming was i think at one point i wanted to like be a stunt person man i'm so you should point. be so glad that you didn't follow up on that on that video game stream because let me tell you <laughs> I just I discovered that that you could make that there I I like had the realization that oh yeah people have to make video games at basically the exact same time that the indie game boom happened and it's ruined oh my life. Um, my life is awful now because of because that happened because I had the realization that oh yeah people have to make video games as a career and learned about what programming was and started learning Python at around the age of like ten or eleven which was around the time that like Braid and Castle Crashers and mm-hmm. Minecraft and Super Meat Boy and all that stuff was coming out and so there were all these these like games for to be role models for me, um, mm-hmm. you know just complete bullshit role models for me. You know, as like, oh man, these people, you know, like this this game was made by one person. This game was made by two people. You know, like that's amazing. I could just, I could do that. That's that's what I want to do with my life. And then like actually spending a bunch of time because I'm too young to like have any friends who do this. Just spending a bunch of time learning the necessary skills. And then by the time that I was old enough to realize that making video games is a bad career and making independent video games is even worse, which is pretty much the age that I am now, I'm into, I'm in too deep. I can't get out. <laughs> oh, God. Save yourselves. If you're if you're thinking about making video games, don't. I'm deadly serious. Um, I mean, 
Yeah, yeah, like I, yeah, this reminds me now of when like I was finishing up my undergrad and like all, like half of the like things online about like philosophy in grad school is like fucking don't. Yeah. <laughs> and at the time I was like, fuck you, I'm gonna do it anyway. And I don't, I, I actually, I actually don't regret it. Like, cause I got out in time. <laughs> <laughs> uh but if, if but if i had if i hadn't gotten out in time i definitely would yeah it's especially uh, like like philosophy like bertrand russell i appreciate you because you spent your entire life realizing how wrong you were and by the time that you were dead it was too late for you to develop good opinions but you at least realized that all your old opinions were bad um but uh you ruined philosophy in the english-speaking world and for that i will never forgive you uh, <laughs> You know, if you want, like, because if you're actually interested in philosophy, the degree the degree you seek is comparative literature uh, or uh, religious studies. Um, like that the is wise that, man said. The, the wise man said the, the the degree you seek is not a philosophy one. If you're in an English speaking country outside, I am. It is my understanding that outside the Anglosphere, philosophy programs ha- are a lot better. Um, and a lot less fucking up their ass with fucking analytic philosophy bullshit. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know that to be true. I don't really know anybody who's like a French philosophy major or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, like, like what I got out of studying analytic philosophy for six years, like, was some critical thinking skills some um i i think if i'd gone into technical writing it would have been very good in terms of like like what analytic philosophy teaches you is how to how to is how to say completely pointless things very clearly (laughs) so you're a programmer now Exactly. Yeah, yeah it de- it de- it definitely helped me teach myself programming. Yeah, uh, uh, but if you actually want to do any philosophy, go into literature. Uh, you get to actually do philosophy in that. Yeah. Um, uh, and but back to the question, to the question about science, about like what what does this film think about science? Because um, it definitely, I think its opinion towards science is generally positive. Like even even at the end. Um, but it, it's definitely, it reminds me, God, what's that, what's that fool's name? Uh, Paul Feyerabend, uh, and his epistemological anarchism. Oh, I've got uh, his book for some reason. Uh, I haven't, I haven't read it. Uh, so I have not read it either, but I'm vaguely familiar with it. Um, and at this, this movie as i mean like one could perhaps mount an analysis of this movie from an epistemologically anarchist perspective um and and talk about how this movie is 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 definitely critical of the way that the adults in the movie participate in science like even Mm -hmm. though it's not a causal relationship the adults starting to study the sphere is directly like that happens immediately before um things start going bad. So it's not a causal yeah. relationship, but it's it's definitely like that's when things start going bad it's, for the town when the sphere starts expanding. It, n- narrative causality, yeah. I think, is yeah. it's fair to say. You know, it's... Um, so, so for those of you who are not familiar, epistemological anarchism is 
the idea that um I'll read from Wikipedia. Epistemological anarchism is an epistemological theory advanced by Austrian philosopher of science Paul Feyerabend, which holds that there are no useful and exception-free methodological rules governing the progress of science or the growth of knowledge. It holds that the idea of the operation of science by fixed universal rules is unrealistic, pernicious, and detrimental to science itself. Um, <laughs> use of the term anarchism in the name reflected the methodological pluralism prescription of the theory, as the purported scientific method does not have a monopoly on truth or useful results. Feyerabend once famously said that because there is no fixed scientific method, it is best to have an anything-goes approach toward methodologies. Feyerabend felt that science started as a liberating movement over time, it had become increasingly dogmatic and rigid, and therefore had become increasingly an ideology. And despite its success, science had started to attain some oppressive features, and it was not possible to come up with an unambiguous way to distinguish science from religion, magic, or mythology. He felt the exclusive dominance of science as a means of directing society was authoritarian and ungrounded. Promulgation of the theory earned for Yerevan the title of the worst enemy of science from his detractors. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, throwback to Paprika, uh, the best thing in that movie, which is when fucking bald, evil McBad guy says, science is nothing but a piece of trash. <laughs> But yeah, like I think there's there's definitely something to, and this connects definitely to the the, the Lewis Carroll thing because like Lewis Carroll was a, also a mathematician in addition to, in like his in, the, in like his day to day life I guess apart from uh, his work as a as a writer, um, and he wrote um, Lewis he wrote Alice's Adventures in Wonderland as a response to, and I, I I actually I've never been able to verify that this is the case, but I've heard it before that he wrote Alice's Adventures in Wonderland as a response to Cantor's diagonal argument. Because um, hmm. he wrote that he wrote that version of uh, Achilles and the Tortoise, right? Um, which one? Uh, let me find. Uh, for for those of you who don't know, Cantor's diagonal argument is Georg Cantor was a set theorist in the nineteenth century, and he came up with this this proof. You can look it up on the internet. It's actually it's quite understandable. Um, it's my fa- it's my favorite mathematical proof of all time. Do you have a favorite mathematical proof? I do. I uh, sure fucked out. <laughs> uh, it's definitely Cantor's diagonal argument. It's his proof that generally it is his proof that some infinities are bigger than other infinities. Uh, more more narrowly or more mathematically defined that there are there are different sizes of infinite cardinality. So cardinality is is the mathematical way of, of using numbers to describe how much of something there are, as opposed to ordinality, which is using numbers to describe the order things come in. Um, and that there are cardinalities, and that there are multiple different kinds of infinite cardinality, and some of them are big, are literally bigger than other ones. And specifically, his argument shows that there are more real numbers than there are natural numbers. Um, natural numbers being the numbers greater than zero, but like, like integers greater than zero, like zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, those numbers and real numbers being just about any number, you know, that isn't a complex number. Uh, and the way that he does this is super clever, um, and really, really easily understandable. Um, I, I think, um, you know, it's a pretty straightforward proof. Uh, and Lewis Carroll hated this. Um, hated the the diagonal argument, as did a lot of mathematicians of the day, because it doesn't take the form of a traditional mathematical proof. Um, it's sort of very unconventional in its in its methodology, and the thing that it proves that some infinities are bigger than other infinities is completely insane, um, and co- just like massively counterintuitive. The idea that there are different kinds of infinity um, these days, every, pretty much every mathematician accepts that this is true, but uh, 
it was very controversial back in the day. And there are still some people called finitists who insist that, uh, who, finitists insist that there are no infinities at all. There are other people who insist that there's only one kind of infinity. Um, uh, so yeah, so the, the, what the, um, what I was, what I was mentioning is, um, a short paper that, uh, Carroll published in the Philosophical Journal Mind in 1895 called what the tortoise said to achilles which is um sort of a a proof or not proof but a disc like a discussion of the kind of the limitations of logical rules of inference and so it's it's almost short enough to read, but I'm not going to. And so, the, like the ba- one of the basic, um... I've, I googled what the tortoise said to Achilles, and I found uh, a paper somebody at Dartmouth wrote called "What Achilles Should Have Said to the Tortoise." <laughs> well, welcome to philosophy. Uh, and so, like the um, one of the basic rules of kind of implication is modus ponens, which is. Um, like if if you accept the conditional that like if a then b and you accept that a is true then you have to accept that b is true and so and so i i forget if it's um the tortoise or the achilles oh it's the it's the, tor- the tortoise who achilles is trying to convince of this um of this rule of inference and he basically says, Achilles says, okay, so you uh, accept the A, then you accept that if A, then B. And Tori says, yes. He's like, okay. And you accept that you accept A. And Tori says, yes. And he's like, okay, well, then you accept B. And Tori says, why? He says, well, because if you accept the conditional and if you accept the um What's the word for the the first part of a conditional? There's the consequent and the antecedent. And you accept the antecedent, then you have to accept the consequent. And the tortoise is like, is that another premise? That if I accept the conditional and the antecedent, then I have to accept the consequent? And he's like, yes, I suppose so. He's like, okay, so now you have three things that uh, if I accept A... And if I accept if A, then B. And if I accept that the con- that if the conjunction of these two things, then B, then I have to accept B, right? And so it keeps kind of going ah. recursively backwards where, where, uh, at no point that, that the basic kind of basic rules of inference are ones that we kind of have to accept yeah. without any sort of grounding. Yeah, I realized this at some point. This is the this real this exact realization. I did not read this paper, but I read about uh, paraconsistent logics, uh-huh. uh, and I it, which paraconsistent logics are logics where inconsistencies are tolerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and reading about those, and also um, uh, incredibly uh, Aristotle's sea battle argument, um, both convinced like were part of me being convinced that analytic philosophy is kind of garbage. <laughs> um, and uh, so for those of you unfamiliar um, Aristotle's sea battle argument is it's it's uh, uh, an, a 
so Aristotle is when we talk about logic and we talk about philosophical logic, what we're really talking about is we're talking about Aristotelian logic. Like he was the guy who laid down all of these rules, and one of his rules is that any statement is either true or false. There is no middle ground. Um, yeah. Like, well, I mean, like, like modern logic drops some of his yeah stuff. Like proposi- modern propositional logic, and, and um, um, but so is, for, is anyway. Go ahead. This this rule is still, and it's pretty intuitive. Like something is either true or false. But he he yeah. he came up, in fact, with an argument the, against his the, own. That's the, law, that's, it's the law of the excluded middle. Yeah, the law of the excluded middle. And he, but he came up, in fact, with a an argument against his own assertion called the sea battle argument. Um, where he basically said, if I say today a sea battle will happen tomorrow, and I and that and it does happen tomorrow, was it true when I said it that a sea battle would happen tomorrow? Because if it was true when I said it, then it would have been true a thousand years before the sea battle happened. And mm-hmm. that makes it seem like the sea battle was necessary, like it was impossible for the sea battle to not happen. Um, if it was always true that the sea battle was that a sea battle would happen tomorrow or a sea battle would happen in a thousand years or whatever, like it's always going to be true. Um, yeah. And his his solution to this is to basically say this is a special case where the law of the excluded middle does not apply, where if you where when you're talking about conditionals, when you're talking about things that might or might not happen in the future the statement there will be a sea battle tomorrow is neither true nor untrue it's undetermined right. um we don't know yet whether that, whether that statement is true yeah i mean if you want to yeah if you want to like maintain that the law of the excluded middle applies across the board you either have to say that like yes the like the future is determinate uh, yeah. or you have to say that if it's if if the future is unfixed then you have to essentially say that statements about the future aren't strictly speaking like statements yeah (laughs) like they're not they're not fully meaningful it's very similar to a number of medieval christian philosophers who would have argument christian and muslim and jewish philosophers who would all have arguments about well if god knows what i'm going to do in the future how do i have free will and their response to this is of course that well knowing that you're going to do something doesn't make you do it uh, which works if you buy that, but if you don't buy that, it doesn't work. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of like a lot of philosophy of action is yeah, like this sort of infuriating thing. It's like um, trying to say that like um, we have free will even if we couldn't do otherwise, because like there's no like there's nothing like evidently or like logically impossible about us doing otherwise it's just it's just we happen to do as we are required to do we are we are we must and it's 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 uh it's the sort of thing that hurts your brain i'm I'm not sure if i can blame david lewis for this but i think i can because he (laughs) says because he says bullshit about how um like the word can is actually like semantically flexible because like even though it's impossible to go back in time and kill your grandfather before you were born because otherwise you couldn't be born to do the killing you can because what can means is that like there's no like physical impossibility to like the series of actions but 
Yeah. yeah. And of course, that depends on whether or not you buy that there's no physical impossibility to this series of actions of you going back in time and killing your grandfather, which if you're Stephen right. Hawking, you would disagree with. Right, exactly. Um, but like, um, yeah, like a lot of like philosophers following the David Lewis tradition of reflective equilibrium, which is basically all, all that philosophy is good for is taking all of my like pre-existing beliefs and <laughs> making them as close to internally consistent as possible. Uh, they'll, they'll do stupid bullshit with like semantics to make words change meanings in the yeah. different contexts in order to keep yeah. as Which many is- of their initial statements true as possible which is why the only good analytic philosopher is ludwig wittgenstein because he is the exact opposite of that um his wittgenstein's whole shtick not in the tractatus but in his later work in in philosophical investigations a a lot of his whole shtick is that words mean whatever we decide collectively that they mean um you know and so you can't just like say oh well this word means this different thing in this specific context your words mean whatever i say that they mean he has this whole thing called the private language argument about how a language Mm -hmm. under that that can in principle be understood by only one person is nonsensical um you know and, and and he's great he's cool um Everybody else, you're on thin ice. <laughs> um, we were talking about science at one point. Um, we were, I think. Uh, but yeah, we were talking about because the the other thing was talking about like what was our personal response to? Because I think we covered that that I think that this movie has like a, a pretty epistemologically anarchistic view of what constitutes science, um, but also. Um, and what constitutes science and where knowledge can come from, uh, and it's it's almost rationalistic in the way that it that it that it is like it's almost sort of like like because most of the protagonist's knowledge comes from taking things that they know to be true and then just sort of sitting at the, sitting around and chin stroking at them for a while until he has a eureka <laughs> moment like he's fucking Descartes, uh, you know like it, it's almost. Uh, because uh, like while a, a fair bit of the knowledge that the characters have in this movie comes from. Uh, a direct observation it also comes a lot from from sort of inference um and logic and that sort of that sort of good descartes shit um but yeah like what do we think that that like because because i would also say like like the the main character has this sort of like this this question presupposes that the main character has sort of a guileless wonder at the idea of science and it's not so much that he has a guileless wonder at the idea of science i think he has a he has and I mentioned this earlier when we were talking about him, he has this obsession with the idea of knowing things. You know, yeah. science is one of the things that he can know, but he doesn't just have an obsession with science. He has an, he, you know, he knows, he likes knowing chess. He likes being better at chess than other people. Um, you know, he likes, you know, he has this obsession with sort of he's like... A, he's a chess guy. Yeah, he's a fucking chess guy. <laughs> the, 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 Suzuki, while they're playing chess, and just Suzuki sitting in the back, should be like, chess is dumb. Is That's me <laughs> looking at the TL. <laughs> Um, then then why do you start learning it at the end? Um, well, it's just me capturing that specific moment. Obviously, he never, oh okay. He never. I don't. I don't experience that character growth that results in me learning. <laughs> um, I just. Stay, I stay forever in chess is dumb. <laughs> um, but you know, like he, you know, and, and I think that that. It's definitely relatable for me even now. Like I like knowing things. I spent I stay up until four in the morning reading Wikipedia articles because I just like knowing shit, um, you know. And it doesn't have any reason or purpose for it. And I think that um, partly what this what this movie 
seems to suggest is that is that knowing about stuff like like and i i would actually kind of agree with this that like the like what's the purpose of, of learning about how the universe works what's the purpose of gaining knowledge and it's like i don't think it's some abstraction of like oh knowledge is virtue like like i'm fucking plato or some shit right um but i do think that like you know a lot of a lot of people would probably say that having scientific knowledge of things reduces its beauty but i would argue the opposite that i find that knowing how things work make me appreciate them more and that 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 yeah. things are most appreciated when you understand them they are pre they're definitely appreciated in a different way to the sort of naive appreciation um um that you, that you have and i think about this with music all the time about like the way that my relationship to music is very as a person who makes music and as who knows a lot about music is very different from the casual listener and i think about this a lot especially when i talk Me. about yeah especially when i talk about music with with other people who are not musicians especially when i talk about music with my dad um and especially especially when i talk about music with my mom because um, the very least my dad has done musical things in his life uh, my mom has never done anything like that and as a result like she her her perception of like of music is completely alien to me and even though like when i listen to music it's no longer magical because i know all of this stuff about it it's beautiful in a different way you know um yeah you know and so i don't because because the other thing is of course that that, that that the protagonist doesn't really have he doesn't really have a wonder at science he wants to be a scientist he wants to be a researcher but when there are actual scientists around he doesn't like them <laughs> you know like he thinks that they're assholes um you know because and, and it reveals that his interest is not actually in science it's in you know he wants to know things and if he just learns stuff from school well then everybody else in the class is going to know it so he has to go out and do his own research in order to find facts that nobody else has you know so that he can <laughs> feel special yeah um you know like that's that's sort of his obsession is that he has to like science is a means to an end and the end is having knowledge that other people don't have so that he can feel like he's better than them and of course the thing that happens at the end of the movie is of course everybody knows about it because the fucking sea expands to the size of the entire town and there's penguins everywhere womp womp. you know like everybody suddenly knows what he knows you know and, and especially like worst case scenario like suzuki knows what he knows and shares it with <gasps> the scientists <gasps> yeah you know? and that's the problem that both him and hamamoto have is is their their sort of intense desire towards specialness their intense desire towards feeling like they're in on a secret um you know whereas whereas kind of the real the real wonder of science and i think that that the other thing that this movie is about is about the way that science is collaborative like mm -hmm. yes aoyama is the one who puts all the pieces together but the movie is very deliberate in showing especially in the scene where he has the eureka moment where it flashes back to where he learned everything like it's this reminder that he did not come mm. to this conclusion on his own he got this information from a number of other collaborators you know like he got yeah. it from his dad he got it from hamamoto he got it from all of these other people um you know and that science is as much as as he would he kind of wishes it wasn't because he wants to be special science is a process of collaboration with other people do you have any thoughts on that nope <laughs> <laughs> no thoughts head empty head empty i'm the i'm i'm the bimbo remember uh anyway alex do you have a book to recommend I actually don't. Like, <laughs> let's see. Well, this month, let's see. Like, I'm rereading like the the Wolf Hall books, so I can start the third one that came out last month. 
but I've, I've had, I read the first two, and, but I haven't started the, the new one yet. And then I read the plague on stream, but other than that, I haven't really read book. Well, you can dig back into your archive. But I don't, I don't remember them well enough to give kind of the detailed sort of pricey that that you've come to that you've come to expect from me. <laughs> I like how I didn't even have to say anything. You just you you realized on your own what you said. Uh, I don't know. You, you give a book and I'll see if I can think of something. In the All book. right. Uh, I'm going to recommend the book that I was planning to recommend last month, but was it finished with, but I have now finished it. It is The Origin of Capitalism by Ellen Mikesons Wood. Uh, this has nothing to do with the movie, by the way. Uh, Good. I'm not even going to pretend to justify <laughs> by connecting it. Uh, so the, uh, this is a book from 1999 uh, about what it says. Uh, it's about the origin of capitalism. And it is specifically... Uh, it, it, it exists sort of on the premise that um, understanding the origins of capitalism can help us understand the mechanisms of capitalism, can help us understand, um, you know, where capitalism is going and how to, how to destroy it, um, you know, and where capitalism is now and understanding its relationships to where it emerged. And so the thesis of this book is that capitalism, because like, like there are, she talks uh, at great length and dunks on other historians uh, for much of like the first third of this book about other people's conceptions of how capitalism emerged and why they're totally wrong. Um, and and she, she talks about how like the traditional model that's sort of gone back to like Adam Smith um, is, is the idea that capitalism is this sort of natural force that has always existed under the water and the dissolution of fe- uh, uh, under the surface and the dissolution of feudalism suddenly allowed it to burst free um, and 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 you know become as productive as it wa- as it wants to be and she talks about how like that's not just a, a, a history that's put forward by by capitalists and supporters of capitalism it's also a, a story that that exists sort of under that exists sort of in the assumptions of a lot of marxist histories of capitalism um and she talks about and, and her whole argument revolves around the idea and and exists pretty much to insist that um capitalism is not a natural outgrowth of the things that preceded it um or at least not an, an inevitable outgrowth of the things that preceded it and that it's a a significant break in how uh human society has been organized for its entire existence um you know and and also knowing like because there are of course a lot of people who who i've spoken to who don't understand that there were things before capitalism we think that capitalism has always existed that this is how human societies have always organized themselves and the great thing about uh supposing that capitalism has not always existed is of course that anything that hasn't always existed won't always exist um Mm -hmm. you know it's not a necessary part of the universe so it can be removed from the universe and things will be fine um so it's very important for anti-capitalists to be able to point to a specific place in time and say that's when it started and that's when all this shit got fucked up Uh, (laughs) and so her place in time is that she says that capitalism emerged specifically in rural england in the early modern period um and and she she provides a ton of really great historical evidence 
um, to support this claim, and she it's, uh, does a lot of contrasting fucking English, fucking English, um, and she she does a lot of there's a lot of great stuff in here where she she'll contrast, for instance, England, which. England had a fair, you know, trade and economic presence throughout Europe, but it was nothing compared to, say, Italy or the Dutch. Um, but it, uh, there's no, there's no way of looking at, say, Florence or Amsterdam and seeing them develop capitalism before England did. You know, England mm-hmm. somehow developed capitalism first. You know, and it also con- contrasts um, England and France, which both exited feudalism at around the same time, but France transformed into, into this sort of highly centralized absolutist state that was then destroyed by the French Revolution, whereas England transitioned to capitalism directly. Um, so what's what's so what's the what's the range of the early modern period? The range of the early, so we're talking like Shakespeare times, basically. Shakespeare times. So early late fourteen hundreds, early fifteen hundreds. Um, is, uh, is sort uh, of, so like because depending on who you ask. Uh, probably the most common date you'll get for the end of the Middle Ages is the year 1500. You might also get uh, 1492, which is the year that Columbus traveled to the Americas. Um, you know, you might get a few dates sort of around there, but it's generally orbits around 1500 is when the Middle Ages ended and we entered into um, the modern period. Um, and when we've been in the modern period for about 500 years then, um, and it sucked the whole time. time. for something different. Yeah. Um, and talking about, and so she, she argues about, um, the way that England, one, one thing that, that tells us that capitalism had, had, had developed in England was that England was disproportionate, its agriculture was disproportionately productive for how, for its size. And she talks about how, like, the, the definition of capitalism being that capitalism is sort of totally preoccupied with increasing production. And so, like, there were periods in the early modern period where, um... England was providing like the majority of grain for all of Europe. Um, and like England is not very big. Um, and let me, so I, I, I'm writing a paper about this book right now for my geography class. Um, and I had to, I had to copy down this entire quote, uh, because I was looking for a definition of capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you couldn't find like a, like a, good pdf i didn't really look for it because i was like ah looking for pdf i'll take longer than just copying this down um library genesis um but yes so she she talks about i'll I'll read i'll read this this uh and and i will i will say this book is it's sort of academic e i wouldn't recommend it necessarily as an entry point into leftist thought i would probably still recommend capitalist realism for that um which i think is written in a much more approachable style this book Uh is yeah i know you don't think so but whatever um, but this, and this book is definitely written in, in more academic language. It's not super impenetrable. It's not, it's far from the most impenetrable shit that I've read. Um, you know, especially cause it's fairly recent. This was written in, in the late nineties. Um, but you know, this will give you a, this, this passage will probably give you an idea of whether or not this book is for you. Capitalism is a system in which goods and services down to the most basic necessities of life are produced for profitable exchange, where even human labor power is a commodity for sale in the market and where all economic actors are dependent on the market. This is not true. This is true. Not only of workers who must sell their labor power for a wage, but also of capitalists who depend on the market to buy their inputs, including labor power and to sell their output for profit. 
Capitalism differs from other social forms because producers depend on the market for access to means of production, unlike, for instance, peasants, who remain in direct non-market possession of land, while appropriators cannot rely on, quote, extra economic powers of appropriation by means of direct, co- direct coercion. Direct coercion. Such as the military, political, and judicial powers that enable feudal lords to extract surplus labor from peasants, but must depend on the purely, quote, economic mechanisms of the market. This distinct system of market dependence means that the requirements of competition and profit maximization are the fundamental rules of life. Because of those rules, capitalism is a system uniquely driven to improve the productivity of labor by technical means. Above all, it is a system in which the bulk of society's work is done by propertyless laborers who are obliged to sell their labor power in exchange for a wage in order to gain access to the means of life and of labor itself. In the process of supplying the needs and wants of society, workers are at the same time and inseparably creating profits for those who buy their labor power. In fact, the production of goods and services is subordinate to the production of capital and capitalist profit. The basic objective of the capitalist system, in other words, is the production and self-expansion of capital. Um, so, on the one hand, that's really long-winded, uh, and it has some jargon in it. But, uh, on the other hand, it's really specific, which I really like. Um, and and a lot, of, a lot of this book is, is spent uh, taking, sort of, like, taking assumptions about capitalism instead of scrutinizing them. Um, you know, like like she talks a lot about because she specifies specifically that capitalism originated in rural England, which goes against the sort of traditional story that capitalism originated in cities. And she talks about, um, yeah, she she talks about a ton of stuff like a ton of stuff like that about, um, you know, the way that ne- like it wasn't necessarily the amount of wealth that your community had built up that dictated whether or not you would transition to capitalism. Um, and she also does, a, there's also a fantastic section in here on capitalism and imperialism where she talks about seeing the embryo of uh, later capitalist imperialism in the early English conquest of the Irish um, and, and talking about how that, like, that specific like, English conquest forms the blueprint for colonial and imperial conquests even up to now. Um, which is, is super interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a really great book. So that's, uh, I recommend it if you're at all interested in anything that I just said. So that's The Origin of Capitalism, A Longer View by Ellen Mikesons Wood. Uh, Alex, have you picked a book? Uh, I guess I'll just fucking go with the plague. <laughs> all right. And, uh, it's, it's topical. So this month, uh, on stream, I, I did a reading of, uh, the Plague by Albert Camus, and I actually saved the vase. If you, for any conceivable reason, you want to watch me read for nine hours, and it is um, about a fictional epidemic that in um, a, t- uh, a real town called Oran in French Algeria in the forties, and it is if you've read anything else by Camus, like like the myth of Sisyphus and the stranger, some of his more well-known stuff, he discusses, he kind of discusses similar themes, like how people like create meaning or just survive in a kind of meaningless world. Uh, but the the main narrative device is is this plague and um, a number of the main doctor, Doctor Ryu, who's the main character, and a number of 
kind of people he meets during the plague and how they all kind of respond to this kind of existential threat in, in each of their different ways. And we've, we've, we've been going for a while, so I don't want to do a full, a full summary of the book, but, um, it's very good. I think I like it the most of the, of the fiction I've read of his, which is The Stranger and uh, Happy Death. Maybe because it's, unlike The Stranger, it's a little longer. It has kind of more time to breathe and it creates more of a of a world, which is my kind of thing. Yeah, I really want to read this book. I, I dropped out of your streams eventually because I had a trouble following what, following the plot. Um, because and especially because I missed like a large section of a stream, and so I was just, I just gave oh, up. Yeah. Uh, so I was just like, oh well, fuck, I'm not gonna be able to not gonna be able to catch up now. Um, and audiobooks aren't really my thing, and I wanted to read this book, uh, because it's so fucking topical. Um, and I couldn't find it; it was not available at all on our sponsor, BetterWorldBooks.com. Not our sponsor, <laughs> not Spawn under any circumstances. Uh, they never no, like, what's the, what's the no homo equivalent? <laughs> not Spawn. <laughs> Not non-spawn. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, they would never sponsor this trash. Oh god, no. But um, yeah, you should. It's um, it's good and and it's good and interesting, and I like it a lot. And that's my book report. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. I can't. I can't. I can't speak yeah, this, coherently this anymore. Yeah, this podcast is a lot out of us. How did we keep going for two hours after that? Like, <laughs> I don't know, like eight minutes in, we were ready to give up. And I think that the, like we, that was like enough time for us to take a breather and then actually have a conversation about it. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I tried my best not to talk over you too much, uh, <laughs> which, because I, I do, I did genuinely want to hear why you didn't like the movie. And I think I understand where you're coming from. And like it's just that we i guess have different sets of values for what we like you know like you, yeah i mean I, like you know, there like, are certain i think I, yeah i think i went from this book is this movie is objectively loathsome to like something slightly less <laughs> uh yeah uh, like it's word? it's we have different sets of values for what what really makes us upset in a story and what we're willing to put up with and there are things yeah. in this movie that you are not willing to put up with that i was willing to put up with um you know and i found i i found being able to put up with those things really rewarding um you know i found i i got a lot out of this movie just in terms of just like feelings and thoughts and and it made me really happy i was smiling the whole time so yeah i, I mean i think i think i think it's not not just what we're willing to put up with but what like what like how we kind of enter into a movie and like how what what things kind of um make us interested in, in like emo- and emotionally invested in in a story um and yeah that that it had things that worked like worked on you and it did not have any that worked on me yeah um so alex you get to punish me now for subjecting you to this what are we gonna watch next month we're gonna watch fucking utana okay what month is it oh it's april um okay that's a lot that's a a lot of watching i thought we were gonna do that in (laughs) june when i was out of school 
Well, I was uh, well. Uh, when is that? Is that is school still happening? School is still happening. It ends in the middle of the I mean, we can't. I honestly can't think of anything else um, that I've that I have any interest in watching. Yeah, I mean, there's like. I mean, did you look at I'm the? I'm so uh, tired. Did you look at the list? I, I mean, I, I've I, the last time I looked at it, that was my conclusion. Um, uh, There's a bunch of Kanan. stuff still on we that can, we haven't watched that you put on there. We can remove Kanan. Oh, yeah. That's not going to happen. I just got rid of it. Cool. Um, well, let's, I mean, okay, okay, let's... What's, what's stuff I've put on there? Because I wanted uh, to do it for, for maybe like the June July um, yeah epi- um, like we did with the um, yeah because we were going to split it up over two months and you were going to get two months for Utena because I got two months last year for Ava yeah um, well like yeah I mean things like Shirobako and Tari Tari like I mean they like I don't like I thought they were a fun slice of life I don't uh, they're they're not yeah. something I'm really interested in rewatching right now and you don't really and think that we'd have anything to say about them I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, um, and we have Mono- we have Mono- is Mononoke and Princess Mononoke two different things? I believe that. Yeah, they are. Yeah, Mononoke. Okay. I thought that. Yeah, Mononoke is a. It's, I forget who recommended it to me, but I saw it recommended on Twitter. And I looked it up, and it looked cool. This is the Mononoke that 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 just Mononoke refers to. Yeah, I don't want to watch uh, Madoka until we watch Utena. Yeah, that's fair. Um, like, like Kino's Journey and Wandering Sun. Like, I don't want to watch like gender animes. I don't trust them. I there are so many trans people that I know who said Wandering Sun is good. Um, I don't trust them. <laughs> I don't really trust them either. Uh, like, how many trans people were talking about Cloud in a dress? Oh yeah, I mean, fairness. But also, mo- like, like I think the difference there is that most of those people experienced Cloud in a Dress when they were thirteen, and most people watch Wandering Sun as adults. Okay, fair. Uh, Girls' Last Tour. I feel like it'll just be worse than the manga, and I'm not ready for that disappointment. <laughs> Every time I see the name Girls' Last Tour on the list, I'm like, "What the fuck is Girls' Last Tour? Why would Alex put that on there?" And then I look it up, and I'm like, "Oh, why? Why, why does that have that name?" <sighs> well, that's their last tour. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, like I, under, I mean, I understand why it's called that, but it also makes it sound like Carol and Tuesday. Uh, yeah the the literal translation is quite different. Oh man, have I ever uh, talked about my favorite uh, light novel name? Uh, which is the it's the light novel that uh, the t- the Tom Cruise movie uh, Edge of Tomorrow was based on, and they called it Edge of Tomorrow. Um, and then, and then, in huge writing on the poster, they had "Live, Die, Repeat," and so everybody thought the movie was just called "Live, Die, Repeat." And then it did horribly at the box office by being a Tom Cruise action movie. That's actually really good. Uh, and then huh. they, when they released it for the, then they released it on DVD. They just called it "Live, Die, Repeat: Colon Edge of Tomorrow." Um, but that movie was based on. They did all of that name stuff because that movie was based on a light novel called "All You Need Is Kill." Excellent. Which is, I wish that Tom Cruise was in a movie called All You Need Is Kill, but they obviously took one look at that at that light novel and were like, we can't call it All You Need Is Kill. We can't call it that. Yeah, the, the literal translation is uh, Shoujo Shumatsu Ryoku, 
which is like Girls Apocalypse to Adventure. Ah. Uh, because it's like, and I'm not sure, like, I'm not even sure how the pacing would work in, a, in an anime. Because, like, it's essentially just like these two girls. And I'm not sure if they're sisters or just, or not. Uh, it's, and I'm not sure if it's even ever specified because it doesn't really matter. Like, most of most there's been a post-apocalyptic like well an apocalyptic event and most people are dead and uh like they're just kind of wandering around on their on on this uh, motorbike like scavenging for supplies and like seeing if there's anything interesting left in the world and so a lot of the like chapters are kind of very like strange and meditative and sad and i'm all about that shit i know the the manga is one of the best i've ever read i mean there aren't actually many good manga (laughs) (laughs) there aren't many good things generally yeah but no it's fantastic Uh, Uh, you know sturgeon's law 90 percent of everything is crap and and because it's so good i I feel like the, the anime can't be as good uh, and it'll just be a kind of a like blah. So. Yeah, I mean, I have a few on here that I've put on here that I'm not sure if we get like Azumanga Daio. Like, I fucking love Azumanga Daio, but it's just a comedy anime, and it's so fucking yeah. funny. But it's I don't know if we'd have anything to talk about except just talking about like trying trying to convey our favorite jokes over the podcast. <laughs> Same thing with Nishijao as well. Uh, I fucking love Nishijao, but um, yeah, you know, it's not there's not much to talk about with Nishijao. It's just sort of it's just sort of weird, bizarre surrealist comedy. I was gonna say we could do a meta block with like Shirobako and Aizuken. Mm, yeah. But Aizuken is the same director as this. <laughs> no, Aizuken is not the same director as this. Aizuken is Masaki Iwasa. Oh, right, that's true. Uh, yeah, this okay. the guy who directed Penguin Highway has never directed a feature film or an anime series before. Oh yeah, I did look him up and I was like, oh he doesn't he doesn't yeah, this is his first like major project that he's been leaving. Yeah. Oh. Um which to me is very impressive and to you is unsurprising. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean like the like the production quality was good. Like yeah. like I don't know who did the screenplay or who adapted it and it, I'm going to blame Marimi for everything. Uh so I don't really have a problem with the director, I guess, except yeah. that he took this took up took on this job in the first place. <laughs> but yeah. capitalism, you know. What can you do? Yeah. Um, um but the, yeah, the problem with that is like Shirobako is like twenty six episodes. Yeah, I could do a twenty six episode animation. So ten is like nearly forty. But I'm but the, the but the follow up is that I'm not sure if Shirobako is interesting enough by itself. Yeah. As opposed to as as kind of as having watching both of them and doing kind of like a yeah, and I definitely I mean I think it'll be like eleven or twelve episodes. Yeah. Uh, if you want to watch thirty episodes this month. I, no, if I'm not willing to watch Utena, I'm not willing to watch 30 episodes of Shirobako. Well, Utena's 40. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we could watch, we could uh, go back to the uh, the Conwell and watch Perfect Blue. Uh, uh, I don't know if you'd like can Perfect I, Blue. Can I, can, I, can I think about it? <laughs> well, we, we got, we're recording the podcast now. Like you know, we can know. watch. We can, you know, we can say it'll be a surprise. You can watch Karikano, which is that weird Hideaki Anno directed shoujo anime. Oh, the thing that never really got properly finished. Uh, I mean that's every Anno project. 
Hey. Anna doesn't like uh, finishing things. Um, what's yeah. it called again? Kari Kana, or his and her circumstances. Oh uh, yeah. Um, yeah, let's do that. All right, you want to watch Kari Kana? Yeah, because I think you were the one who put it on there. I've never heard of it. Um, uh, it'll be. It'll be. It'll have, I'm sure we'll have something to talk about in any case. All right. Well, announce to the world where we're watching. All right, all right, all right. Uh, so next month we will be watching Karakano, which is uh, based on a manga series by Masami Tsuda and adapted by Hideaki Anno of Evangelion fame. Yeah. Uh, in English, it's co- it's called His and Her Circumstances. Yeah, this is a weird. It's a weird chapter in in Anno's in Anno's life. He did this like he actually did this immediately after Ava. Uh, or poss- possibly during Ava, because like the original run of this was ninety eight to ninety nine. Oh wow! That's yeah, funny. so like and Ava was ninety seven. So like he did this, he did this immediately after finishing Ava, um, which has got to be, it's either going to be weirdly similar to Ava, or it's going to be completely different from Ava in a way that is also baffling. Yeah, I know. I know. It was. I think it was basically ended because like he and the mangaka couldn't like like agree on the on the vision so yeah there's this quote from anna saying karakana was supposed to be a romantic comedy and we wanted to emphasize the comedy and not the romance the author wanted to emphasize them both and that is where the conflict came to be we would like to continue work on it but we have upset the author so it is very likely that though it is very unlikely that there will be a continuation of the series i am very sorry <laughs> Uh, just I just love the idea. Oh, <laughs> uh, I wonder like how true. I, I do wonder how true that is. I wonder like we'll. I guess we'll find out how true them emphasizing yeah. the comedy instead of the romance is. Uh, Otto is credited as director for the first sixteen episodes and co-director for later for later episodes. But later episodes, his name is written in katakana, possibly as a form of protest. <laughs> 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 oh god this is gonna be great this is gonna be good it's gonna be great it's gonna be good oh uh, uh, yes okay uh so yeah so that's carcano uh we'll i guess see you next month where can we find you before oh that? fuck right yes uh you can find me on twitter if for some reason my bad opinions in this episode have interested you you can find me on twitter at prophet underscore goddess you can find me on mastodon at prophet underscore goddess at skeleton dot cool you can watch my streams at twitch.tv slash prophet underscore goddess and you can play my games at prophet goddess dot itch dot io no underscore Where can people if find my you good else? opinions if my good opinions have interested you fuck you can you. find me uh uh dun 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 on twitter um, that's on Catalina at selfie.army, selfie with a Y. I stream on Twitch, uh, uh, miss underscore input, and I do not make games. <laughs> so don't look for me on itch.io. And you shouldn't. Don't make video games. I don't plan on it. In, 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 unless we ever make a FMV game together. I would love to do that. That will actually ruin our friendship, though. That would actually ruin our friendship, but I would fucking love to do that. I would love it would, to make it would be, it, it, It'd be worth it. It'd be worth it. I would love to make 
something like 428 Shibuya Scramble with you. That would be so good. All right. Well, until then, our friendship has survived one more month. I I was so worried about this episode. I, I kind of feel. <laughs> I feel. Because, like, the thing is, I made the joke on Natsunon about Colonel Oleana Buendia from uh, 100 Years of Solitude. Um, and then I feel like what happened to me is actually what happens in 100 Years of Solitude, which is that when they get to that scene in the novel, he like, the guy, I forget, like, why, but the guy just decides, oh, we're not going to kill you today. <laughs> Like he somehow manages to get out of being executed by firing squad, and I, I feel like I feel like Aureliana one day. It's been a long time since I read Hundred Years of Solitude. I should reread it. Me too. I yeah, I hardly I hardly remember any of the like. It's been oh god, it's been over ten years now. Yeah, my unofficial recommendation is that One Hundred Years of Solitude, which you should read no matter what, because it's an absolutely beautiful, amazing book. Um, and also anything by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Get his get his uh uh. Uh, get a short story collection. I think it's I think it's called Leaf House. Uh, I've read that in uh, Love in the Time of Cholera. Yeah, I've read um, what's the fucking name of it? I'm, I'm thinking of Leaf House, but that's the name of an Animal Collective song. Uh, Leaf Storm. Uh, Leaf Storm is a really great short story collection. It's got uh, a bunch of my fav- favorite shorts. He has he's written a ton of great short stories. Uh, uh, one that I really like is called The Very Old Man with Enormous Wings, um, and. It also has, like, one of the first stories in Leaf Storm is this, like, it's a story about, like, a guy, like, trapped in a coffin. Uh, like, from the perspective of, like, a dead person in a coffin in, like, somebody's living room. It's it's great. Uh, but I've also read uh, Of Love and Other Demons, uh, which is another great, another great book. Um, but yeah, read, read Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, that's our joint recommendation. We agree on something, which is that Gabriel Garcia Marquez whips. Uh, anyway, good night, everybody. Good night.
頃の僕を語らせておくれよ。この頃の僕を、この頃の僕を。